Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make that call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, more listeners share their travel experience with Irish Rail. Our GP, Dr Pat Harold, is with us a little later on. We have the latest on the swimming pool debacle in Templemore. There's a disability conference happening at the Anna Hotel in Thurlis. Sweating in winter. Hmm. We'll be talking about that uh, later on as well and what you can do if uh, sweating is an issue for you and what to expect weather-wise over the next uh, couple of weeks. I was driving around the county last night and the flooding on the roads. I mean, in places that I never remember being flooded. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. So do be careful if you're, if you're heading out uh, driving. We'll also play Tip FM's Match 3 game in association with our friends at Stakelham's Home and Hardware and Stakelham's Expert Electrical as well. We'll be doing that, uh, I think, just after 11 o'clock uh, this morning. I'll give you a cue to call where that is concerned. You can text and WhatsApp 83 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Quick look at the newspaper headlines. The Irish Times. Spiritans expect more abuse survivors to emerge. Now, the Spiritans, of course, formerly known as the Holy Ghost Fathers, and uh, they're revealing 233 men allege abuse against 77 priests and some 57 men say they were abused on the campus of Black Rock College in Dublin. I'm not sure if you heard that documentary last night with the Ryan brothers, um, but it was just harrowing and unspeakable and awful and, you know, just their lives practically destroyed by these men. Um Irish Daily Mail, nursing homes, we are in crisis. Hundreds of uh, traumatised pensioners have been displaced from nursing homes due to soaring energy costs and price hikes, the government have been warned. And the body representing nursing homes has now called for an emergency general meeting of nursing home owners and said a package put forward by the government to address some of the costs is completely ill-fit for purpose and wholly inadequate as well. The uh, Irish Examiner... Flooding storms and drought, clear signs of climate crisis is the headline uh, there. And uh, this is in light of COP27 happening as we speak in Egypt. Also on the examiner today, nurses and midwives are resigning or retiring early because of the level of assault being made against them and the exodus is expected to only worsen their representative body has warned. Finally, a quick look at the Indo. And again, that story um, from the Holy Ghost Fathers, the Holy Ghost Order, have admitted paying out more than five million in abuse settlement claims and support services as it revealed it has received complaints of abuse at nine of its schools. And finally, on a happier note, lovely, lovely picture on the front of the Indo today of Rise Med- Clanigan with his gold medal from the World uh, Artistic Gymnastics Championships along with his proud mum Tracy is there and his lovely girlfriend uh, Emily as well and his return uh, at Dublin Airport yesterday so many congratulations to him and uh, to his family as well. If you want to comment on any of those headlines particularly if you heard that documentary last night you might like to comment on that 083-311-3311 Now yesterday we spoke to John who shared his experience of travelling with Irish Rail and people taking up booked seats on board. Well, Jenny made uh, contact with us and joins me now. Jenny, good morning to you. 
Good morning, friends. Lovely to talk to you today, Jenny, and thank you for coming on with me. Will you tell me your travelling experience? I will. Um, so I go up every week, um, and a couple of weeks ago, I think it was the bank holiday weekend when I was coming down on the train from Dublin. <clears throat> um, I got to the I got to the train, and my seat was I think F sixty six, and it was right beside where the driver sits. So I got on the train and there was no seat F66. So I said to the driver, you know, what's what's this? And he said, he came in and he had a look and he said, oh, I, I don't know what to say to you. There was about six or eight seats removed and there was just a luggage tray put in instead of them. So your seat then, didn't exist, Jenny? No, it didn't exist at all. And there was, there was about ten of us, I think, on that carriage where the seats weren't there at all. So... Then, then he said to me, um, he said, oh, they've also remo- removed the entire carriage G. And he didn't know why. So we walked down through the train and I noticed there was a, there was at least two seats in, in every carriage where the, the names were up where people had reserved them, but there was no physical seat there. Um, and so it was chaos because it was, it was completely booked out, you know, the bank holiday weekend on a Friday evening. And I so keep saying, Jenny, I, I, I don't take the train, so I, I, I need a lot of information on this. Uh, like F66, that original seat, did you book that specifically? I did. I right. always book my seats, yeah. Right, and, yeah. and that came back to you that your seat is F66, is that it? Yeah, it comes out, it's printed on your ticket, yeah. All right, but it didn't exist. What happened then? I mean, did you just find somewhere else to sit or? So there was probably, I don't know how many fits in a the carriage, there was probably 30 or 40 of us with no seats. So we just, we walked down the length of the train and we just took, we went into the, um, the first class carriage. There was there was only maybe two or three seats in there that were booked, and we, we all sat in there. But it was still way overbooked because I think when people book using the machines at the station, it doesn't allocate them seats. So there was still like tons of people standing. Was there a conductor, or was there somebody on on board checking tickets? And no, I didn't see anybody. No, very seldom you'd see anybody. Right. And I believe you can't get a sandwich now or anything. You can't get a, can you get no, a cup of no tea? Or? No, nothing in the morning. No coffee going up in the morning. Nothing like that. No. So, yeah, it's a, it's and people always sit in your seats and say that they didn't know they had to book them. But you have to book them when you're booking it online because either you book it yourself or the system automatically assigns you one. So if you have a ticket, you have a seat, you know. Right, now you had F66, but in some cases, I believe, does your name come up on some sort of a digital readout? It does. When you're booking it, it asks you to manually select your seat. And there's a box that you can take if you don't want your name on it, but you'd have to go looking for that box. So the seats, the names are always up over the seats, over every single seat on the train. Right. Um, I, I presume you've been using the train for quite some time, Jenny, have you? Yeah, I have, yeah. I go up right. to work every week in Dublin, yeah. Right. So have you seen a, a, disap- a disimprovement of all of this over the years? Um, well, I suppose I wasn't using it during COVID. Yeah. Um, and no, I, I don't know if the disimprovement, actually. It's just, it's been about the same for the past couple of years. But of course, since it got busier now, after right. COVID, it's a bit more chaotic, yeah. yeah. Right. People and, are just taking seats everywhere. And that's how you describe it as being chaotic? 
I would sometimes, yeah, on a Friday afternoon, definitely, yeah. Yeah. What about the rest uh, of the time? Is it quiet then at certain periods? Um, I, well, I go off, when I go, I get the 558 from Limerick Junction, so that's lovely and quiet. But I come home at different times on a Friday and it's always, it's always a bit manic, yeah. Trains are very, very busy and people just sit where, you know, wherever. Right. What would you say to them? Have you ever made contact with them to express your dissatisfaction with the whole thing, Jenny? Have you ever emailed anybody? Or I haven't, actually, no. I, I kind of meant to do it now after the bank holiday weekend, and then I just forgot about it. And then when you were talking about it yesterday, I said I'd, I'd uh, have my little, say my little piece. But yeah. I haven't, no. I don't know if, if I don't. I wouldn't expect to get any kind of a a resolution for it. Yeah, we spoke to several people yesterday and indeed last week on the programme as well. So this is something that seems to be ongoing and uh, happening. Um, do you like the notion, that, I mean, if you had proper seating and the like, do you like the notion of travelling by train? Yeah, I don't mind it at all. Yeah. So it's grand, like, but I, I would like to be guaranteed a seat when I book it for definite. You know, after being away from home for a couple of days and at work and stuff, then the last thing you want to get on to do is get on a train in Dublin and stand as far as Limerick Junction or wherever. Absolutely. Do you, do you go up on a Monday or something like that? Is that is that what you do? I used to I used to go up daily, but now since COVID, I only have to go in two days a week. So I go oh, up Thursday good. morning and come back Friday night. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's not too bad, I suppose. And your you, the the payment for to book a seat, like, mm. is that extra if you want? Your name on a seat? No, it's not actually, and it's uh, you just it, the machine makes you do it, and I think it's because so that the trains weren't getting overbooked during COVID, so they would only sell as uh, many seats okay. as were on the train. Yeah, so but like I don't know about anyone else, but I'd quite happily pay to book. Right, you for, know, to for book the and be guaranteed yeah. my seat. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, I was also intrigued by what you said that a full carriage was actually missing. Yeah, so they took off carriage G, the driver said, and he had no idea why. He wasn't given any reason either. Right, but so, from what you could see, they needed an extra carriage. Absolutely, yeah. It was, oh yeah, it was very, very busy, yeah. It's, it's just amazing. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on with us and, and safe travel to you, Jenny. Thank you. No problem. Thank Thanks, good, good morning to you. That's uh, Jenny with her experience of Irish Rail. Let's go to, to Bridget now. Bridget, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well, Bridget, and lovely to talk to you today. You're a regular train user as well. Yes, I am. Um, last Tuesday now, I happened to go to Limerick on the train from Templemore, mm. and uh, the station was very busy in Templemore. There was quite a lot of people getting on because that train also serves Cork. Now, when we got on in Templemore, we were running on a few minutes when, of course, the usual uh, announcement comes over the thing, please do not sit in pre-booked seats, etc., etc. Do not put your feet on the seat and that. But uh, a steward came along and he said, anyone that got on in Templemore? So he checked all our tickets and he went on. And then we stopped in in Thurlis. And the same thing, the announcement came on when we pulled out of Thurlis. And the same checker came back along and he said, anyone that got on in Thurlis, and he checked their tickets and that. Now, we had pre-booked seats and there wasn't anybody in them. But I have an occasion that I've got on the train 
and somebody may be sitting in my seat. So all I just do is I say, this is seat uh, B32. Excuse me, my name is up there and that's my ticket. And usually the person that's in it will get up and move on and apologise. And sometimes there might be a seat across the way from them and I say, stay where you are, I'll sit in the vacant one. Mm. But like that, like the story your previous lady told you, we pre-booked seats uh, to go to Westport last, I think it was January or thereabouts, and we we had the return tickets booked. And when we got on the train in Westport, which was parked in the station for quite a bit because that would be the terminal for the train. Yes. When we got on the train and got into the carriage, uh, our ticket number said uh, they were 63 or 64 like that. Mm. And there was no the carriage. There was only 48 seats on the carriage. So we we went back into the railway station and he said, just look, sit wherever you like, he says. That was that was the attitude. That was it. Just sit wherever you like. Sit wherever you like. Yeah. My God. Um, and coming from Cork, yeah. Uh, regularly, I've got on the train in Cork with a pre-booked ticket. Get on the train, and there are no names on the train when you get on the train in Cork. There's no so names. Whether you have no names at e- all. E- even now if I, you have reserved a seat. Yes. I I have uh, I you know yet to see my name up in Cork on a train in Cork leaving Cork. Now I do know that on the way up the electronics work and you'd see sometimes to be up seat booked from Limerick Junction mm. or seat booked from Turles, but there's nothing. Where I haven't seen them now. I'm not saying that that's the way all the time, mm. but. Uh, most of the time, I've never yet seen my name up in Cork on a on a ticket. And uh, e- even I'm though you booked it, you booked it in the same way as you would book yeah, any other normally. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> normally, you get your ticket and it says outward uh, carriage B, say forty two, and uh, uh, back uh, inward uh, B. 83 or 63 mm, yeah. or whatever it would be. The two numbers would be on the carriage. And like coming back from Limerick last Tuesday, we knew the tickets we were getting when we came to Limerick Junction. Now, there's no numbers on the seats going from Limerick Junction to Limerick. Right. And, it says and why, why is available. that? Or do you, do you know why that is? Uh, it's only a smaller train and there's you know, okay. maybe only right. two or three carriages on it, and the traffic wouldn't be on it. You know that. Yeah, there I suppose. That much I suppose on it. Yeah. And then the train, the train leaves Limerick nearly every hour. Now it, it's, it's when you when you spoke about the conductor checking the tickets as well. I mean, at least that seems to have been organised in some sort of way. Because yeah. I mean, some people telling me they don't see a conductor or any. Yeah. Any staff member of Irish Rail on on the train? And on one occasion, I was on the train coming from Port Arlington back to, I don't know whether it was Torless or Templemore, because I can get the train to either place. And uh, the conductor checked the tickets. And somebody had, um, you know, a free 
a free t- a ticket that was free pass like and the conductor asked them for their green pass he he didn't he just didn't want to see their ticket he wanted to see their green pass that they were valid using a free travel ticket yeah, it's. Uh, have you been using trains for many years, Bridget? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, has the service disimproved as far as you're now, concerned? Now, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, if you wanted to book a seat, you had to pay four euro for your seat. Pre-COVID. Right. Okay. But, but you, since you don't COVID, now. you don't now. Okay. But I'm very bold. I go to Dublin regularly from mm. Templemore on the 10 to 12 train which is non-stop. So I don't pre-book a ticket on that. And when I get on, I know that if there's a vacant seat, I can sit in it because it's non-stop from Templemore to Dublin. Ah, there won't be anybody getting on at any stop. No. Very, very clever. But, okay. But I use my, my green, my free pass to get through the gates in Dublin. You have to have a ticket to get through the gates in Dublin. Right. I see. You I know. see. Um, but the the service, like the catering service, has been done away with. Yeah. And the carriage is still on the train. The the, the catering, catering uh, carriage yeah. is still on the train, uh, all the time. But the catering hasn't been resumed yet. And you miss that, Bridget? I do. Yeah. 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 You like the cup of tea? Like while you're the traveling. cup. Of, like yeah. the cup. Of, on the way, and it shortens the journey. Of course it does. Of course it does, indeed. Yeah. And then in particular, if you're after being rushing through the city to get back to catch your train, it's yeah. grand to get the cup on the train. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and you can relax and stuff like that yeah. as well. Well, we'll get a statement from the Bridget, and we'll see what the story is. And thank you so much for coming on with me today. That's uh, Bridget and her experience, indeed, of train travel in uh, Ireland, uh, 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083 A couple of people I met last night. I was in the uh, Templemore Arms last night and I met lovely Joe Noble and we had a great, great old chat and I'm delighted to report she was looking great too and Paula was there and Noreen was there and I met the worst singer in Ireland. <laughs> that's by his own admission now not mine but Pat Fahey was there last night we had a great old chat as well from uh, Nina it was great to meet him and uh, the crack was great he might be he might be the worst singer in Ireland but he was a great dancer uh, last night so anyway hello to all the gang there and thanks as always to Dan and all the lovely staff there at uh, Templemore Arms for their hospitality last night alright we'll take a break back with more in just a moment Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. And you're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Now, several hundred people took part in a protest in Templemore at the weekend, calling for the local community to be allowed access once again to the swimming pool at the Garda College there. The pool had been used for decades, as I'm sure you're aware at this point, by the local community to learn how to swim and, of course, for water safety lessons as well. It was closed in March of 2020 because of the pandemic, but has not returned to regular public use since. Well, Deirdre Ryan is founder of the We Just Want to Swim at Templemore, and Deirdre joins me now. Good morning to you, Deirdre. 
Hi, Fran, how are you? And uh, lovely to talk to you again. Um, the protests at the weekend, how did that go, Deirdre? Oh, look, it was absolutely super. Um, we believe between four and 500 people showed up and we marched up through the town all the way to the college. Um, kids, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. And we arrived at the Garda College at about 3.30 and we gave... Uh, some speeches and we sang some chants. Um, we had three local representatives, uh, um, Jackie Cal, Michael Lowry and Alan Kelly. And I think that was uh, really indicative of the community spirit here in mm. Templemore and the surrounding areas because we had three TDs from three different political affiliations and they were standing shoulder by shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with each other and shoulder to shoulder with the community. And it's not often you get three different TDs mm. standing together or agreeing on something, but uh, they did on Saturday and they bo- or the three of them also gave little speeches and uh, their speeches again were very powerful uh, encouraging the uh, different agencies involved to just knocked their heads together and mm. reopened this pool. Uh, it was a great success and I want to say thank you as well to the the local guardie from uh, Templemore Garda Station who supported us uh, right through the prote- protest and uh, and they were, they've been very good to us so I'd like to thank them. Um, I'm not sure if you heard the piece that we ran yesterday from Taoiseach Michal Martin because he was asked specifically about the situation in uh, mm. in uh, Templemore and he kind of he kind of said, "Look, this is really a lot of nonsense. That you know, it's it's one uh, one organisation throwing it over to the other and stuff, and it just needs to be sorted out. People need to sit down. That must have given you a bit more hope as well, did it? Oh, it did. Look, I was lucky enough to be invited by Jackie Cal to meet. Um, on Taoiseach Michal Martin on Friday and I met him in Perlis and he spoke to me for a, about 10 minutes um, and he was very curious and uh, very genuine in trying to understand the situation here with the pool yeah. in the Templemore Garda College and you know when we, he asked specifically why are they closing it and I said well it's financial it's a cost saving measure and an energy saving measure and, you know, he's a very smart guy. Within a minute, he was able to find a solution. And the solution was that the three agencies involved share the cost. Yes. So not just one agency uh, shares the burden, it's divided. And, I mean, I guess that's why he's Taoiseach. He, he was a, he's a very smart guy. And, and I think that's, that's the solution we're all looking for. Divide any extra cost that is incurred by opening the pool. And then also... Uh, engage with Eamon Ryan who actually you know, spoke about this in the Dáil two weeks ago engage Eamon Ryan mm. um, Minister for the Environment and all the great minds that work with him and come down to the college right. and find it. But my, my only problem with that is and I'm not sure if uh, the Taoiseach addressed it when he was talking to you is that notion that a commercial entity cannot uh, have use of the pool. In other words, if there's a charge for the lessons or whatever, that they can't use the... Well, was that touched upon? No, I suppose it wasn't because... But surely really that's central to it, Deirdre, is it not? It, it, well, it's, it's central to it in in what they, they their reasons for not um, 
giving access to the pool initially. Mm. But now they're saying they're closing it down altogether. I think the idea of uh, it being commercial really wasn't the reason that uh, this licence wasn't offered because the OPW have since come out and said that they actually have never seen this proposal um, by the new swimming coach. They And they have never uh, refused a licence. So that particular proposal for the Friday night swimming lessons for children, it actually never left the college. It never left the college. The OPW haven't seen it. And we all know that that proposal is a carbon copy of the services that have been running here for the last 40 years. It's it's only commercial in that we pay a fee, um, and we've always done that. It's a not-for-profit proposal. And I think the Garda College dismissed that for whatever reason, whether it was commercial or whatever, because I, I believe that behind it all, they had intentions of closing this pool anyway. You, you've you heard from the great and good then, uh, very powerful speeches, as you said, Deirdre. You heard from the Taoiseach. Mm. Um, but, you know, talk is cheap at the end of the day. When will you all be back swimming in uh, Templemore? Well, look, Jackie Callany's speech, he said he wanted it back by the end of November. Look, I'm feeling really positive. You have the, the Taoiseach of your country saying, it's okay, this is about money, we'll sort money out. Mm. And uh, he, he said he can, we can deal with money, we just share it out. And this is, this is the solution. And I think the Garda College and the OPW and the Ministry for Justice now have to follow the lead of the Taoiseach, the leader of this country. Uh, there should be no obstacle now to that pool opening up immediately. And I know that the Taoiseach is actually in Egypt at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I got a message from Jackie Caldwell this morning to say that as soon as Hall comes back, they're going to sit down and they're going to implement his solutions. So I'm feeling really positive. Okay. We can't leave this pool closed until April. We need to get it open straight away so that all those children can learn how to swim and water safety before another summer kicks in. Well, I'm so glad that you're a lot more positive than when we first spoke, mm. Deirdre, but we'll be following <laughs> the the um, procedures here and we will see what happens where it's all concerned. Yes. Your next step well, is what, though? Well, we're having um, uh, a process here today. I, my, um, there's a few of us at the college today. We're going to have a presence there all day. day. I'm there with uh, Sinead Delaney at the moment. We've all our signs up because in the college at the moment, every commissioner in the country, including Drew Harris, is actually present. And at three o'clock today, all the schools and all the community again are getting together and we're having another march and protest right outside the college gates today. So I'm inviting everybody that was there on Saturday and all those people who couldn't make it, show up today, let's hear, let let our voice be heard. And then we're going to let those TDs that showed up on Saturday and Micheál Martin and the Garda College and the OPW, the Ministry of Justice, to get together and solve this so our kids can get into swimming by the end of the month. All right. Deirdre, very best of luck to you all and uh, for today as well. Thanks for talking to me, Deirdre. Thank you. Thanks a million, Fran. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. You're very welcome indeed. And that's Deirdre. Ryan there, Deirdre, is founder of the We Just Want to Swim Temple More group. And they're protesting again today, but... uh, appearing a lot more hopeful there indeed. Barbara was on to say good morning, Fran. Those poor boys, while they went uh, through absolutely horrific and horrible, those priests, not men, they're monsters and evil. And certainly the descriptions in that um, 
documentary last night. It was, it was very hard to listen to um, because you could see and you could hear that David and uh, his brother Mark, but David particularly, was just broken um, over what was perpetrated upon him. Uh, and uh, David, in fact, living in uh, Tipperary uh, at the moment, his brother Mark living in uh, London. But uh, eight of the schools at the centre of the allegations are based in uh, Dublin, Blackrock College and uh, Willow Park, uh, first year school and the junior school, St. Mary's Senior School, St. Mary's College Junior School in Ratmines, St. Michael's Senior College, St. Michael's College Junior in uh, Aylesbury Road and Temple Oak College. And the other school was Rockwell College in uh, Tipperary as well, sadly. So um, dreadful, dreadful what uh, those boys went uh, through and if you get a chance to have a listen to that at some stage or other but make sure there's not young ears around while you're playing it 1800-938-007 and now just a couple of more texts to bring to you uh, I was in Nina last week one man and a lady had their white card for the bus and couldn't go on the bus from Nina to Limerick just a pure disgrace uh, even though they had the bus pass, it says here. Um, there was a train from Houston uh, last bank holiday weekend. You had to get the bus from Kildare to Thurles, like uh, all other passengers, it says here uh, as well. Um, OK, Irish Rail should have two to three carriages, especially for bookings. And uh, the only access is scan with your phone to get into those carriages. When full, no more bookings. Just take a seat or else all carriages have to be pre-booked, says one of our listeners. Seems to be a big issue indeed. We'll take uh, a break and we'll be right back to you in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Listener says the children always paid for the use of the pool in Templemore. It's not going to make the instructors rich. It's providing a service that also catered for special needs on a Saturday and maybe you didn't know that that came up in uh, discussions with uh, Deirdre on uh, previous interviews. But thank you very much indeed for your text uh, this morning. Uh, Fran, I've been uh, up and down visiting a parent in a hospital and twice when we got on a train in Dublin to come home, the names were up and then just disappeared. So nobody knew where they were sitting. Funnily enough, when we stopped in Port Leash, the names reappeared. Wow. Sounds rather chaotic, the whole thing, doesn't it? Uh, we're awaiting a, a statement from uh, Irish Rail, and uh, as soon as we get that, I'll bring it to you. Paul's Animal Rescue is dedicated to rescuing homeless and abandoned animals, primarily dogs, from uh, high-kill pounds and owners who can no longer care for them. Now, recently, Paul's took to social media to announce uh, closure for the foreseeable future in terms of taking in dogs. Well, uh, Gina Hetherington, animal welfare advocate, joins me now. Gina, good morning to you. Good morning, Van. How are you? Uh, really good to talk to you today, Gina. Um, this is very, very sad news indeed, but you, you're, you're full up, Gina. We're, we've been full up for some time. Um, yeah. It's pretty much the same in all the animal shelters in uh, in Ireland. Um, I was speaking to the lady from O'Cara there recently, and she's in the same boat with with being overrun with dogs. 
and the pounds are overrun with dogs. It's it's horrific. We've never seen anything like it. It's just it's back to the the, the, no, the naughties, as they say. Um, yeah, absolutely. And is that post COVID that people got dogs and then don't want them anymore? Is is does that play into this, Gina? I think it is more the cost of living because the, the wow. people that we're getting, besides obviously the greyhounds, uh, the people that we're getting contacting us are people who are, the landlord is selling the house and they have to move into another rented accommodation. They can't take their dog with them. They're emigrating. They can't take their dog with them. Uh, my son has gone to Australia and left the dog here. You know, it, it's all to do with finance as far as I can see. And I presume not many people then, because of cost of living, are coming to you to to take dogs. No, that's the other problem, is that people are not adopting. And as you know, we have, as as usual, we have uh, 90 plus dogs in our care. And um, 70% of them are sighthounds, which are greyhounds and lurchers. And uh, they are difficult to rehome in Ireland. Mm. And the cost of getting them to the States are huge. Because the UK is in the same position we're in in Ireland. They're out the door with dogs. Uh, the the Czechs and the Germans, you know, there's so many groups contacting them to ask them to take greyhounds from them that, that they're overwhelmed as well. It's just a general huge problem. And the way we look at it from our point of view is we have staff giving in their notice um, because they can't take the, the stress anymore. And, uh, of course, they're working for minimum wage, which doesn't help. And it's it's difficult to get people to replace them that have the experience and that uh, will work for minimum wage in hail, rain or snow. And, uh, you know, it, it's... Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, to be totally honest with you, but we've had to shut our doors. Tell me about the stress, uh, Gina. The stress is from being not enough people and too many animals to care for. Uh, the most we can afford to have in the kennels at any one time is four people. Uh, we have, you know, that, that when you compare that to some of the large groups in the country, they have uh, one carer for every 10 or 15 dogs. We have it, you know, for every 20, 30 dogs. Um, there's also seeing some of the cases that come in, some of the lurchers that come in here are in pretty horrific condition and uh, seeing that the dogs are so stressed here and, and, and there's nothing that they can do about it so the people as a result get stressed because they're here because they love animals and uh, they don't like to see all this happening And to witness that kind of cruelty as well obviously It is, it is, it's horrific really some of us, I mean we get puppies in and, and we know when we're looking at them that they're not going to make it. We, we know by the state of them, but we get them to the vet anyway, and we get all the care done. And, I mean, we, we've paid our vet 147 grand this year so far, and we owe them 60 at the moment. So even if we get the government grant at the end of December, that'll go straight to the vets. And it's not the vet's fault. It's the numbers. It's the quantity. Right, and, and uh, the pups that you get in such bad condition, are, are, have they been starved or...? It's usually mange, um, malnutrition, and um, overburden with worms. Um, you know, the, the, I don't know how to put this, but uh, it, you know, there are certain groups of people that that treat puppies like that, and uh, you know, they, they just don't really want them. And um, it's not your average Joe soap. 
the the lurchers and, and as you say, people don't tend to see them as pets, even though I know for a fact that they're wonderful pets. They're 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 gorgeous dogs, you know. They are. They're lovely. And uh, I mean, I was at the animal welfare conference um, last month in uh, the Department of Agriculture, which the minister attended for five whole minutes. I might add, um, but the subject of lurchers came up from there must have been eighty, ninety people in the room representatives from all over the country from the animal welfare groups and every one of them mentioned the lurcher problem. What what can be done, Gina? I mean, what needs to happen here? What needs to happen here is local authorities for start need to step up. Um, the, 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 this thing with people, landlords not allowing people to have a Labrador, but they'll allow them to have you know, half a dozen toddlers writing on the wall in crayon, but they won't let them have one Labrador. Uh, that situation has to be looked at as well. The uh, county councils making people moving into council property get rid of their dogs. That's another issue. Um, it, it's it's a general thing of, um, you know, how would I put it? The other thing is people moving into sheltered housing, elderly people. Mm. And all they've got is their 10, 12-year-old Jack Russell. And yet, they're not allowed to bring it with them. I didn't realise that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's horrible, you know. It should happen to my own mother, Lord Rester. Um, you know, she, she wasn't allowed to take her Jack Russell with her. And uh, he ended up with me. <laughs> but not every family can accommodate those things because they're, you know, working all was, day. Or... That must have broke her heart. Absolutely, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's happening all over this country. It's just, uh, I, I don't know how authorities are... They must have no heart, to be honest with you. They really must. And what is their, from their point of view, what is their thinking behind this? Uh, They think that, I suppose, they think their place is going to be damaged by a dog, which is highly unlikely. I mean, they can always assess the dog before they make their decision. I mean, I had a lady on a couple of weeks ago from Clamel that's finally got a council house after years of trying, a lady with two children, and they won't allow her to bring her Jack Russell. I mean, hello, (laughs) you know? It's madness, like... It, I just don't understand it. It's different if somebody has 10 dogs. I know. Yeah, you know? Course, yeah. Like I used to have in my youth. <laughs> but, um, yeah. well, you know, with somebody with one pet or two small dogs, they have to make this choice between having a roof over their heads and having a, having their pet. And it's just unbelievable. You, you'll forgive me for saying so, Gina, but you sound withered by this. I am knackered by it. Yeah. I am... Um, 63 in January. I'm doing this for 26 years. And I'll always do it. I'll do it as long as I can breathe. But, I mean, it's a case of how do you regroup? I mean, we're going to have to bring our numbers down to about 60, 70 dogs. And uh, it's a case of we cannot take anything else in until we rehome some of what we have. Uh, You know, the the staff have warned me. They've said that the, the remaining ones have said um, they're going to, to leave if any more dogs come in. You know, I mean, our, our one of our great workers who was with us, God, she was with us 12 or 14 years, she left in uh, the end of September. Now, she had given us a year's notice mm. because she knew how hard it is to get people. Mm. Uh, our kennel manager is leaving at the end of January. There's another, and she's with us for 26 years. Oh, uh, there's another lady has said she will leave, and she's with us about 12 years as well, uh, if, if any more dogs come in until the numbers are down. And, of course, there's an awful lot of structural repair to be done. You know, there's yeah. the leaky roof, there's drains overflowing, there's, 
You know yourself now. I told you before on many an interview that the yeah. builder saw us coming. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. naivety is a terrible thing. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's hard to see what what can happen, particularly in the near future. I mean, how are you managing for money, for example, Gina? I mean, you talk about that government grant, but that that's going to go to the vet, as you say. Yeah, we are totally dependent on public donations, completely and 100%. Uh, I invest every week in the lotto and the Euro Millions, but so far, no good. Um, we also have um, legacies help hugely. We have 20,000 due to us now next week from a lady that passed away in Dublin um, last year. And uh, hopefully that will happen. Uh, and But again, the vet's going to get that. We have another gentleman in care who left us a portion of a property, but everything is done and dusted. But now the solicitors cannot find where the house is registered. Oh, <laughs> it Lord. doesn't seem to be registered anywhere. Oh, so they can't Lord. do anything with it. They can't sell it. Oh, you what know? a shame. What um, a shame. Yeah. But legacies are very important to, to animal shelters. And, you know, have a think about it. If you are making your will, don't, you know, consider your local rescues. Don't go for the big boys. I'm sorry, I have to say yeah, it. yeah. Um, they get millions and millions in legacies whereas the small little shelter like ourselves, Mokara, The Haven these people are on the ground and they're doing the work and they're not getting the backup If people can help you out how how can they do so just in terms of cash, uh, Gina? Well, we have a website which is pause.ie uh, we also have uh, our phone which are, I'm sure you have our number up but it's 05291 53507 people can donate over the phone they can go into Southview Veterinary Clinic and donate straight to the vet's bill that can be done Um, but in the meantime you know do consider a sighthound as a pet because they're great pets. And once you haven't got a cat <laughs> <laughs> or a yappy palm, they're great pets. I mean, anybody who's adopted them yes. from us over the years are delighted with them. I'm Absolutely sure delighted. I'm sure they are indeed. Well, we appreciate the wonderful work you're doing, and I'm sorry you're in such dire straits with us, Gina, but we wish you the very best anyway. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you, coming Pam. on with me. Thanks, Gina. And uh, that number again, if you want to help them out and if you can help them out, I know things are tight for everybody, but they do amazing work with very little. 052-915-3507 is uh, the number there. Patrick joins me now. Patrick, good morning to you. Good morning, Fred. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Great to and talk to I you. I congratulate you on that powerful interview the other day. Oh, thank you very much. Was that with Father, Father Sean Sheehy? Yes. All right. Fantastic interview. Definitely an Imro winner, that one. Ah, you're, you're, you're very kind indeed. Tell me about your, your dog. Did you want to rehome a dog, Patrick? Is that, is that well, one? I was just listening to um, Gina. your news bulletin yesterday and yes. the day before, and Gina there with you this morning. Now, in the past, I mentioned no names of shelters or rescues, mm. but in the past, um, we say 10 years, I have fostered dogs where I would take them into my home for a week while they were waiting to be rehomed because the shelters would have been full. Oh, very good. And yeah. there was one little guy, we took him late on Friday night with wire hair terrier and we decided, mum decided she loved him and wanted to keep him. Mm-hmm. So I went, that's fine, that's okay. So we did all the adoption work and we had the home assessment to make sure, you know, that the house was safe and yeah. the yard was secure and I had security on my back gate. Um, so we got the dog and we had him for 18 months he had been very badly treated and lost a lot of internal organs sadly passed away but then we 
we knew a family who were moving to the UK and they had Lady, which is the Cocker Spaniel that I have now. Mm. And, like, I have in the past couple of months, um, I have a very good friend and she has three rescue dogs and they're absolutely beautiful animals. Mm. Various breeds. But I've approached a couple in a couple of um, different animal shelters and what I find ludicrous at the moment is the fee they charge for adoption, the follow-up assessments are okay. My house is clean, it's secure, mm-hmm. it's a good house, it's good property. But I just think if they were to waive their fees, because I have donated to the two rescues that I have fostered for, I have donated dry food and stuff like that. I've made donations. Um, always support the Paul's um, charity shop here in Clonmouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think if they waived, because they're all, I hear a lot of these um, animal shelters now saying that they're under pressure and they don't get the, the fundraising isn't there. People mm-hmm. just don't have the money. Particularly the smaller gladly, ones, I suppose. Yeah. Yes, the smaller yeah. ones. But mm-hmm. I would gladly accept a, like, I watched a video online last night. Tip FM had it up in their, their mm. posting um, yes. of polls. And the lurchers, I think they're beautiful dogs. Mm. A friend of mine has one. They are so affectionate. Yeah, but people, a, people here don't want them for some reason or other. Well, Patrick. I wouldn't mind having one of Would them. Would you not? They're yeah. beautiful animals. Tell, tell me um, about the fee again, though. I mean, roughly, what what is that fee if you want to adopt? A well, dog? the fee I paid for little Rocco was €180. Euros. Right. So that's and a cons- considerable fee, to, yeah. I then had to pay for the... Obviously, he wasn't neutered and microchipped, but I didn't mind that. Because mm-hmm. my lady, my dog, she's passported, she's microchipped, um, all her paperwork is up to date. So 180 euro, and the vet costs on top of that would be roughly what then? About f- I, 50 euro, I suppose. Was it? No, 175 I paid for the neutering. Oh, did you? Well, okay. Um, that was with the veterinary sound. I won't mention any name. Okay. But um, it is quite expensive. Now, I have no issue with it. Um, I'm bringing a lady for her grooming next Saturday, and that's going to be 75 euros. I go to a vet in Carrington Shore. And um, I don't mind spending money on my animals. Right. Don't have them if you're not going to look after them. Of course. Uh, the, the only thing I'd say in favour of the the fee for adopting, you, you can see that they're in dire straits for money, I suppose, Patrick, and, you know. I can, yes, but in relation to post, and I know this because I have friends who work in animal shelters, yes. and you know I have a lot of um, contacts in politics. Mm. Um, when poles or any rescue in this country, I'm not pinpointing poles here, any rescue, dog rescue, air sanctuary in this country that takes on greyhounds, be they racing dogs or whatever this case scenario is, they get government funding for that, for dogs, mm. per year. Yeah, but you, you know. Yeah, and, and but you heard what what Gina's uh, situation is. I mean, it barely pays the the the, the veterinary yes. fees. You know, yes. So it's, it's... And she was talking there about you know um, the roof leaking and so yeah. on and so yeah. forth. I mean, yeah. I gladly help Gina if she was willing to let me to do some fundraising. Right. To help her fix early I'm sure like she, she would be delighted with that as well. I'm just about out of time, Patrick, but you, you were kind enough to mention that interview last uh, uh, Friday. Um, your, your thoughts on Father Sean Sheehy? 
an absolute disgrace to the Catholic Church, an absolute utter disgrace. You didn't even have to think about that. I did not have to think about it. And I heard your news bulletins this morning. I've been up since 5 a.m. and I was listening to Andrew's show, as I do every morning. Yeah. The news bulletin, bulletin 77, allegedly, allegedly, is the important word yeah. here, accused of sex abuse. Yeah. It's happened in the Magdalene Laundries, other baby homes. It's happened in Ferry House. It's, now we're hearing that it's happened all over the nation and mm. including Rockwell College. And I think put that one to Father Sheedy before he condemns me as a homosexual person to hell. And see how he comes back with an answer to that one. All right, Patrick. And in answer to the question that you asked, I know I sent you in text messages when you said, were you ever in love and was it a he or a she? Mm. I think it was definitely a he. Well, he, he says not. And I mean, we have to go well, along I with what he so. says. But, I yeah. think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Patrick, good to talk to you and thanks very much indeed. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Hi France, as one of our listeners and I was on a train yesterday, couldn't get a seat because all the priority seating was taken by young people. I'm an old-aged pensioner. I had to stand. It was very bad form that young people wouldn't give a seat. And that's for Margaret, who's in Newcastle today. Well, I'm sorry to hear, Margaret, that was your experience um, of uh, train travel yesterday. Uh, somebody saying, what about uh, the point of our dog wardens? All they seem to do is hand the dogs to charities to deal with them. Uh, and their medical needs and the like as well. So uh, that's making a point. Um, in reference to my interview there with uh, Gina Hetherington of uh, Pause. Now, moving on, COP27 is taking place over two weeks until the 18th of November in Sharm el Sheikh in uh, Egypt. Now, the fortnight of negotiations kicked off with the World Leaders Summit yesterday and continues uh, today, Michal Martin is uh, there. Now, after this, uh, government officials seemingly will tackle some of the weightiest issues surrounding climate, including finance, and decarbonisation and uh, adaption and agriculture and all of these things. And then the second week, other topics, including uh, gender, water, biodiversity, will be in the spotlight. Now, the Taoiseach is there, as I say, along with Ministers Eamon Ryan, Simon Coveney and Colin Brophy. Well, a regular contributor to our show, particularly on green issues, is Paul McCarthy, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Fran. Morning, listeners. And uh, good to talk to you today. The big criticism of COP is that it's an annual talking shop, Paul, and that, you know, all the speeches could be used from one year to another in a lot of ways. Do you? How do you view COP? Well, Fran, uh, it's a bit depressing, um, and I like to be upbeat as, when I can about these things. Um, my overview would be um, that the political classes uh, supported by civil servants all over the country, whilst they understand the issues, um, aren't prepared to do anything about it uh, in earnest because it would be politically unpopular and they would not get re-elected. Uh, I like to, to think of it as the people who led us into this mess, would you trust them to lead us out of this? And the answer, well... 
Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but <clears throat> I find it highly unlikely. Um, I, I sent a, a, a WhatsApp into the program last Friday mm. to um, because I heard <clears throat> on that show the comment that Asher burning peat, and this is this is a kind of micro example of our problem. Burning peat, so that's never done any harm. Uh, what's all the fuss about? We should be allowed to cut the turf, uh, as we've always done before, and sail the briquettes and burn away in our open fireplaces. And people don't understand. I think they don't understand what that uh, means to climate change. Forget burning turf. Uh, think about what is a healthy bog. In the 1930s and before, uh, boglands of Ireland were considered wastelands. You couldn't build on them, you couldn't farm them, so people cut them for turf, and at least that was getting some benefit out of it. Now, uh, and again, turf was very cheap. Mm. It saves us importing <clears throat> um, solid fuels, uh, fossil fuels, and, and burning them, so people were happy then, and then kind of science caught up with it, Fran. And people said, well, hang on a minute. What is this bog actually doing in terms of climate change? And a healthy bog is an, a very wet area mm. on which grows a huge number of plants, predominantly a moss called sphagnum. And what that moss does is it takes carbon dioxide, the, the, the baddie, out of the air, it takes water because these are waterlogged sites. And it uses the energy of the sun to convert carbon dioxide and water into sugar and oxygen. The oxygen it gives to us to breathe. The sugar it, it, it makes using this magic chemistry, it uses itself uh, to form the structure of a plant. How many people have ever picked an apple and chewed it and, and wondered, God, I wonder where all this solidity comes from. Well, it comes from carbon dioxide and water. That's all. That's all the plant has to make its body, if you like. Mm. So the weight of that apple, mainly water, admittedly, but the carbon in it comes from carbon dioxide in the air. So the plant in the bog, the turf, is growing away, producing mass for itself and oxygen for us. Like all things, the moss slowly dies. And when it dies, the dead bits fall back into the water. The water does not contain any oxygen. So that the carbon in the dead moss falling into the water stays as carbon. It's what they call locked in. The, the bog is, in effect, taking carbon dioxide out of the air, putting it into itself building its, its, its kind of biomass and when it dies it's dropping it into a safe place where it's not going to get converted back into carbon dioxide now and um, that's, a, that's a healthy bog that's mm. the way it should be mm. an unhealthy bog is where you drain it and if you drain it the water runs off the surface dries out the plants die and now things are different. This dead plant material doesn't fall into the water because the water's gone. The dead plant material is exposed to air, to oxygen, 
the chemistry is such that the carbon in the plant reacts with the oxygen in the air to form carbon dioxide, and you get this huge release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. That's a very, very, very bad deal to cut. So you, you, you're saying it's not necessarily the burning of a few sods of turf. It's, it's no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no. the ravaging of, of the bogs. You, you've converted a carbon remover and storer into a carbon liberator and poisoner. Wow. It's, it is really that simple. It's the simple chemistry of life, of plant life. Right. You take carbon dioxide and water, you make sugar and oxygen, and the deal is done. That's it. So when I hear people romanticize and almost fantasize, that very few of these people have, have, have open turf fires or, or closed turf fires, themselves. And I'm, I'm inclined that way myself. I mean, I can remember eating bread cooked in a basketball with turf on the top yeah. of it and turf underneath it. And it was delicious. Yeah. You don't say, oh, yeah. that's good. But when you think about the price, the true price of that romantic dream or image, it's untenable, Fran. But, it, it, but Paul, what you explained to us there over the last five minutes, like, I haven't heard anybody explain that before with clarity. And I think the, that that's part of the problem, is it not? Yeah, it's education. It's education. If people really, truly understood what uh, the true price, the environmental price of doing things, we would be in a much better place. We have the worst... I think, I think one of your contributors can, uh, last Friday referred to this. We have, in terms of renewables, the worst planning process in the world, we have the best wind energy in Europe. The best. Nobody does it like the Irish. Mm. We have absolutely the best wind speeds onshore and offshore. Yet when big companies try and build a wind farm, they're not cheap, Fran. Mm. They're, they're going to be asking questions around the boardroom and saying, like, sure, well, how long is this going to take? Mm. And the truth is, it's bogged down in Irish planning, planning yes. bureaucracy. Yeah. It goes from one department to another department to another department. None of these departments talk to each other. And it goes round and round and round in circles, and it is slow and self-defeating. So if you've got a huge sum of money, capital, to invest in a wind farm in Ireland, and you're a Danish or a German or a Dutch company, you ain't going to touch it. You aren't going to touch it. You're going to go somewhere where the planning process, Scotland or somewhere like that, where the planning is much more straightforward, done. Absolutely done. And with our targets and our years of 2030 and 2050 and all of that, Paul, like we're moving too slow. I mean, the offshore is far, a joke. Far, far. You know? We've got, we need 20 gigabytes, so 20 gigabytes, 20 gigawatts of wind energy uh, to serve our needs. We've currently got five. So we need, well, we, we could add probably five gigawatts of solar if we got our act together. Solar is much more speedier to put in um, because it, it's less um, hardware intensive, if you like. Mm. But the five to 10 gigawatts of onshore and offshore is going to take some time. Nobody is talking. I wonder if, if the politicians know that our grid infrastructure can't deal 
with all this wind energy. It just can't deal with it. Just, just so explain we, explain that to me. Why why can't it deal with it? Because you're talking about really really high voltages going through cables, not capable of taking it. That's wow. why. So that's a whole other issue then. Yeah, 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 and. It's, it's a bit like saying, well, I'm going to buy myself a real posh car, but I've no idea where I'm going to get the fuel to, to, to run it. It's, you can put the wind farms up, but you need... Uh, there's a wind farm going up near me, um, and it's... Well, I say near me. It's between Clunine and Kilinor. And the firm that are doing it are having to run a cable down to a, a substation. It's about 20... It must be 20 kilometres. And the planning has actually been approved. It was a miracle that the planning's been approved. And I read the uh, these submissions, the, the submissions you make when you object or in, to, a wind, to a wind farm proposal or any proposal to Tipperary County Council. The Tipperary County Council are legally obliged, and they do, publish all the submissions made in, in response to a planning application. And I read the ones for this wind farm. There's seven turbines going up there. And you could not, you couldn't make up the pettiness of some of the submissions. You couldn't. You, you, people ought to read it uh, to understand it, to fully understand how petty and minor these objections are. Now, in in the past, and in fact, probably I don't know, maybe now, these things all hold it up. You know, if you want electricity in your home, you're going to have to have overhead cables because that's the cheapest way of doing it. But people would object to overhead cables. But if you point out to them, well, I want to say, if you don't put these cables in, you're not going to get any electricity. Oh, all right, yeah, we'll yeah. put them in there. Yeah. It's, it's education, Fran. You put your finger on it. Well, the, it the, is the, education. The, and, and the same is happening with our housing. Uh, I mean, what's holding up a lot of the developments is, again, again, it's down to planning and stuff like that. Well, I wouldn't it? mind if the planning was good, Fran. The planning's yeah, awful. I know. I know. In terms of, like, any of these targets that we have, have we any hope of meeting our targets in 2030? Well, 60%, uh, let me answer that question. I don't think so. 60% of our emissions are carbon dioxide, 30% are methane, and the 10%, the balancing 10%, roughly, uh, is nitrous oxide. Uh, and the carbon dioxide all comes, all comes from uh, doing things like destroying bogs, which are carbon sinks, which take it out. But the carbon, uh, the addition of, of, is all coming from fossil fuels, basically, from burning fossil fuels. It, it beggars belief, Fran, that we import oil to, to heat. Now, kerosene is is widely used in Ireland to, to, for, for running central heating systems. Yes. We could use, I'm not, I'm not actually in favour of this, there's better ways of doing it, but we could use rapeseed oil. We could get the farmers to stop um, dairy, convert to growing rapeseed, and in an environmentally friendly way, I would hasten to add, crush the rapeseed, get the oil, and burn it instead of imported kerosene. I just don't know why we don't even think of it. You see, that's in the thing. Where Where is the vision? Or, you know, I mean, if somebody came with that kind of vision to us, we might be much more inclined to embrace this in some way. Well, going back to my opening remarks about would you trust the people who led you into this mess to lead no. you out of it? And, no. and you only have to listen to local politicians where... They are 
heavily dependent on the agricultural, say, vote, they won't go anywhere near anything that that the agricultural mm. lobby groups uh, object to. They just won't do it, even though it's in the public best interest and in society's best interest. But, so of course, a lot of that, Paul, is because there has not so far been any kind of a really just transition. I mean, you talk about the people burning turf, for example. I'm sure, yeah. they, you know, if you convinced them or if you gave them a way of heating their homes in some sort of a fashion that wouldn't cost them any more than burning the turf, they'll, they'll do that. You know? Well, it's been done. It's been done. It's easy for me to say only 5% of Irish homes burn turf. Yeah. 56% of, of families, of, of family homes in Offaly burn turf. You know, that, that skews it. And this, this turf uh, argument was often seen as an urban versus rural, uh, you know, the, the dubs don't want us to burn turf, but sure, what else are we going to do? Tipperary Energy Agency retrofitted three homes in, I don't know where they were, somewhere in Tipperary. They were ex-council house stock. And the heating bills, the energy bills went from, and they were all turf burning or solid fuel anyway. They went from €2,400 a year energy costs to 1000 And when people say, that's part of it, when people say, well, I can't afford to put a heat pump in, I can't afford to do anything else but burn turf, they're right. They can't afford it. it, it turf is cheap. We should step in and say, okay, to the people of Offaly, we can't, uh, we can't condone the, the destruction of the bog because it's too environmentally costly. So what we'll do is we'll give you an alternative heating form at our expense, at society's expense. You can't leave them in the cold. Mm. You have to put in a heat pump into a home in Offaly to replace the turf that you're preventing them from burning. Mm. That's the only fair way to do it. But when, when, when that happens, when on the odd occasion someone like the Tipperary Energy Agency goes in and says, uh, we're going to we're going to retrofit your home so that you don't have to burn turf. This, a lot of the apparent, and I have this from the agency themselves. A lot of the the owners of the homes say, sure, "Could you not fit a stove in?" Because they just don't get it. <laughs> they just don't get the problem. And yeah. a major part of this is if you know you're 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 well placed in the media, Fran. If the print radio and and TV media could, in simple terms, explain yeah. the issue to the people, the people would rear up, Fran. They would rear up. Not yeah. maybe as, 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 as actively as the French would rear up. Yeah. But, you see, the French have... The French have a lot of nuclear. And I'm yeah. a member of the Green Party. I put my hand up to that. Yeah. But I'm also saying, you know, in the shortfall, why don't we put what are called uh, small, modular... Uh, these are small modular reactors. Then they're, they're small, they're tiny nuclear power plants. Mm. You could put ten across the country. They take no more up more, more no much no more space than a couple of GAA uh, pitches. And when we don't need them, well, that will cover that will carry us over this this hungry gap of energy that we're facing. But Paul, that will and never, we'll, that will never I know, happen. I know, that will Brad, never I happen. know, I know, I know, but why are we happy to accept nuclear electricity from France? <laughs> we, if we think that, we should turn that tap off. But we're happy to take it. 
Yeah, you see, it's all the old uh, Sellafield story again. You see that has it's scared not people in my backyard. Yeah. But these yeah. these small modular reactors—they're tiny, fam. They're yeah. tiny. They would they would each one would generate about three gigawatts to right. get us over this energy hump. We put them in in remote places. Even if they went Chernobyl, like it wouldn't do much harm. You put them in in remote places. You run them, and when our renewables are genuinely up to speed, we de decommission them. Paul, I must leave it there, but it's always fascinating to listen. And, uh, you know, I mean, if we had more clarity about that, people can make up their mind then knowing the facts. And yeah, that, that yeah, would be yeah. very so healthy. Next time, you know? next time someone comes on the on the show, Fran, and you hear them romanticise about turf, say, oh, well, hang on a sec. Right. Well, we'll find you and drag you on with them then. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're well able to do it, Fran. Look after yourself, Paul, and Gurmila uh, Mahaga. Thank you for that. That's Paul McCarthy there speaking to us. We'll take a break back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Joined now by our GP, Dr. Pat Harold. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today, Pat. You're going to talk to us first of all about COPD. Would you just remind us what it is, Pat? I will indeed, yeah. Next week is um, COPD. PD Awareness Week. So I thought, you know, you have the COP27 need you and you have the World Cup coming up and yes. um, just just to keep all these things under control, um, keep an eye out for COPD Awareness Week because right. it's a very, very common condition. It's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and um, chronic means it, it it's ongoing. It's not, you know, it's a long-term condition. Mm. It's obstructive means that the... Um, problem is actually getting the air out and pulmonary means the, the lungs and there's two things to it really fine to answer your question finally um, you know there's the bronchitis bit which is where the tubes going down into your lungs get inflicted and and irritated and you've got this kind of chronic cough going on you know that's a little cough all the time yes. thing. and the other thing is the architecture of the lungs the little fine alveoli those you know, that do all the, the kind of the, the groovy stuff moving the oxygen and the carbon dioxide, they get destroyed and wrecked and you know, they're 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 pretty damaged, you know. So um it's 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 a diagnosis. I was just looking at a bit of research there and they were diagnosing uh, they look at a big criteria of people and they were going from forty to seventy nine was the study group. So it's not necessarily a group of older people at all. Wow. Okay. Mm. And is yeah. it something you develop or is it genetic in some way, Pat? Or? There's a small group of people who get it genetically. They're, um, they're, they're short of a thing called ASPA1 antitrypsin. And if you ever end up in hospital with it, you, you, they, they'll check you for anti-1 antitrypsin deficiency. Now, I think off the top of my head, that's about 1%. But most of it is, is damage to the lungs. And the two biggie, biggie causes are um, smoking environmental pollution. And you think environmental pollution is isn't that bad, but um, it kills 7 million people here with COPD, air right. pollution, right. which is the population of Ireland, you know, now it, it's really bad, and obviously in places like China, you know, mm, where they're kind yeah. of sitting, breathing, smoking all day, yeah. but they're just another, another, um, another good reason not to be burning Indeed, and we were just talking about that before the break. In fact, um, is it similar to asthma in some ways? Because some of the symptoms sound similar to me, Pat, is it? It is. It is a bit similar to asthma in that it's, um, you, you'd, you'd sometimes think 
you know, are you there to get now asthma, you know, would be more common in kids. Yes. Um, yeah, it's also asthma is is comes and goes. Asthma, you know, the, the classic asthma where you sort of um, get an asthma attack because you're allergic to horses or something that, that mm, kicks it off yeah. or cats or whatever, you know, and that can save your asthma. And some people with asthma, you know, pollen kicks them off, things like that. But this is chronic long term. Okay. But do you know what, Frank? It's not all bad news. It's right. not all bad news because um, usually somebody has a cough and I might see them a couple of times and I think, geez, they're getting a lot of infections and they keep smoking and they're not doing it and you send them for an X-ray and it can be as quick a slam dunk as that. So you can look at the chest X-ray and say, okay, they've got emphysema is showing up on, another word for is showing up on the X-ray. Mm. Or um, you might be sent in for spirometry and that's where you blow into a tube and then I don't know if any of you have ever had it done, but you know, they go and keep going, keep going, keep going. And it looks as how you breathe and how much you get the air out and everything like that. Right. So if you're diagnosed, the mainstay is inhalers. And um, there's there's three different types of inhalers and there's combinations. And you can work with that, but it's good to have good inhaler technique to work with it. But the other thing is sort of like any chronic illness is adapting for the lifestyle. Now, the respiratory people in the hospitals are completely under siege at the moment mm. because of COVID. Mm. And um, the trick is not to keep ending up back in hospital with your COPD and manage it at home because the, it's, it's the illness that people will see most of in casualty this winter. You know, anybody who works in the casualty will see COPD people coming in and out the whole time with chest infection after chest infection. And the thing is to get your, your vaccinations, your anti-flu, um, not to, to keep air irritation, that's pollution and smoking down to an absolute minimum, and to actually get fit. And there's these groups and they beat up COPD groups and mm. they, they do exercise because the thing is when you're diagnosed with that, people tend to sit there and do absolutely nothing, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's to keep them sort of doing gentle exercise. You know, it's not that you can never garden again, but, you know, you you, you garden within the limits of the mm. thing. And it's an initiative that started in Limerick, a physiotherapist who specializes in respiratory things. And um, I'm not sitting in front of my computer now, I mm. was going to tell you, and a singing a community um, music officer got together and they formed a singing group Pretty in the cool. Midwest for yeah. people with COPD. And the singing is great. They do breathing exercises before. And if you go into the Irish COPD website, you can join online. Is that and you can get all the singing training and teaching. And if you're a bit shy, you'll just be on your own, you know, and you don't yeah. have to come out and sing in front of a whole choir. Well, it's it's absolutely brilliant. And, you know, you'd... you'd um, probably should be extended to everybody whether it's COPD or not but it's definitely something that um, they get together and they they groups and things the whole thing is to live well with it man yes. live well and not yeah. be spending every winter half the time banged up in hospital and to um, to look after yourself and get fit and live well so speaking of uh, respiratory uh, illnesses I'm, I'm hearing that the children's hospital in Dublin Pat is overrun with these illnesses even now yeah you know it seems to be a lot of it about yeah. lot of respiratory stuff, a lot of infections, you know. Um, I'm back at work now and they're all, you know, lots, yeah. of, lots of runny noses and cups and colds and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, and COVID is still around and still back. And um, I've had people, it's only Tuesday, you know, but yesterday ringing me up saying, I know it's not that. I don't really go to the end. Just, just, <laughs> just, you know, just do it like it. You know? It doesn't sound like it. Oh, I know, I know it's not that, yeah. And then they're saying, you know, and then they're saying, oh, geez, I've got it. And then you think, Jesus, you're going up to town all morning. You know, oh, and no, Lord, geez, yeah. you're going in everywhere, you know. So if you've got it, it's still there and it's still catchy and it's still um, still creating trouble. Right. 
Very good. You're going to talk to us a little bit about tennis elbow as well. There's a huge amount of confusion as to what is tennis elbow, Pat, I think. And if you get even more confused if you confuse it with golf elbow. <laughs> you know what, I'm looking at these for 30 years. I don't care if it's tennis or golf elbow. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, only in different sides. Um, it's, if you just put out your two hands, it's the one on the, with your palm upwards. The one on the outside is tennis and on the inside is golf. Ah, and, okay. um, and I don't play golf and it's many a long years since I hit a tennis ball so um, but I think t- the backhand <laughs> I don't know but anyway it's the medical term would be epicondylitis hmm. the two bumps at the start of your just past your elbow at the start of your lower arm are called the epicondyles yes. and if you do repetitive motion if you're it's somebody now who work in a in a factory or something where they're cracking away at the same thing all day long it, they get inflamed and they get worn and they get tired and um, and they cork like crazy and it's so, desperately uh, painful Pat I, I had it myself so it's it's hugely painful um, it is it yeah. is and it, it's okay if you're sitting down but if you actually do the thing yeah. but yeah. often it's the thing you do for a living you know yeah. and yeah. what we used to do up to quite recently was you just give it a shot of steroid but um, they divided people into three cohorts who had it and in one cohort they did nothing in another cohort they gave them physiotherapy and the third they gave them a shot of steroid and the ones who did best by a long shot were the ones who went to physiotherapy uh-huh. the ones who came second were the ones who got nothing and the ones who came third were the steroid <laughs> because every time you get one of those injections you weaken the tendon so you're more likely to get it again uh-huh. right, so now interesting. Yeah. sometimes you can go to a consultant and they will give you a guided injection the physio brilliant for it absolutely brilliant yeah. yeah and you want to have a targeted exercise for what yeah. you do you know they might have given you a can of beat to move up and down and um, the physio is amazing physio yes. will, will just sort it out for you so that's your um, your tennis elbow your tennis and your golf elbow, elbow. Oh, and, and, and all of that Pat it's always good to talk to you and thanks okay. for your time talk this morning you, Pat Take thank care. you bye bye, bye. Janelle that's our GP Dr Pat Harrell speaking to us there 1800 and we were speaking about the abuse earlier on suffered by those lads uh, at the hands of um, a couple of those uh, spirit and priests or Holy Ghost uh, fathers, as they were known. And uh, just if anybody out there is uh, suffering in some way or if you've gone through abuse and if this is sparking off um, your thinking, I suppose, around this, there is help out there. And certainly the uh, the Rape Crisis Helpline is 1800 778 that's 1800-778-888. The Samaritans is available to you, 116-123. And Pieta House, of course, uh, as well, doing tremendous work, 1800-247-247. And Emma will have all of those uh, numbers if you require it. We'll take a break back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, Tipperary Children and Young People Services Committee is a county-led committee that uh, brings together the main statutory community and voluntary providers of services to work together for better outcomes for children and young people in County Tipperary. CYPSC hosting a progressive pathways fair for young people with additional support in Tipperary next week. Now it's the first local event of this type and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio to talk to me about this by Ruri Okashlan and Ruri is coordinator of CYPSC and with me as well students from uh, Skullcormac in Cashel. Craig Doyle Carroll is with me and Caelan Healy and you're all very welcome and thank you for coming into us today. Ruri, can I go to you uh, first of all, will you tell me a little bit about the organisation first of all and what you do? Yes indeed, um, thanks for having me on um, Fran and, and um, for Caelan, Craig, Craig and Caelan as well. Now uh, the Children and Young People Service Committee, you actually described it quite well in your opening there um, it is a county level committee um, it's drawn from representatives from senior management really across the board of any agencies working or any sector working with the 0 to 24 year age cohort and what we really are, are about is looking at where are the where are the key needs and priority issues for that age group and um, then we we put together a plan and we work according to that plan for a three-year span for the, the the length of the particular plan so um we, we, we look at every issue from health through to uh, economic opportunity, training, education, um, safety and security and look at identifying all the needs uh, for that particular not to 24 year age group. So it's, it's quite a broad sweep in terms of, of the remit of that um, committee. Um, and then we have subgroups, uh, five subgroups, uh, usually looking at a particular aspect of the, of the need and, and pursuing the actions from the plan to ensure that... The, that, that we're addressing the issues that have been identified. Very good. In terms of what's coming up in the Anor Hotel then, can you tell me uh, about that and what you're hoping to achieve with that? Yes, I can. I suppose one of the um, the issues that had come up, in fact, was this the issue of uh, transitioning, I suppose, young people with additional support needs from education, from wherever, whether it's uh, mainstream or, or, or special school education, into either work or further training um, and that was a need that was uh, identified in the previous plan um, and again in the current plan which is spanning 2022 to 2025 yes. um, and so the progressive annual fair I suppose we had actually hoped to have that happen before COVID happens and then COVID put a stop to it yeah. but we, we took it up again and essentially it's a it's an occasion to showcase the the range of services that are there to support young adults with additional support needs to go on to further education, training and employment. So it's it's, it's getting them all yeah. under the one roof, if you and, like. And what about the employment aspect of that, Rory? And, you know, employers uh, embracing uh, students with uh, support needs? Well... I suppose in, in relation to the um, in relation to the actual uh, fair that we're, we're organising, we're hoping to have uh, a number of employers come along, um, and as part of the set sort of uh, I suppose set um, section of the of the actual event, we're hoping that they will do a, a, a kind of a, an interview of of how they have found that experience because the ones that we're inviting have had 
very good experience working yes. with the Ability Programme in Tipperary and some of the other uh, Ability Programmes around the county. So they will talk about their experience. Um, and I suppose we'll also have uh, a number of young people, Craig, in fact, is one of them, who will talk a little bit about their experience um, working in employment. Um, so we'll have, a, if you like, the full gamut of, of yes. what uh, it's been like for people in the employment sector. Why, why would it be attractive for a company to introduce uh, students such as Craig and Caleb, why you know wh- how will you convince them that you know this could be working very well for a company as well? That that working that uh, having young people yes, from that, with that additional support would be support very needs. much a positive. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose we're still we're still I suppose working at that. Um, yeah. uh, it's, I mean, it's not a, a done deal by any means. Yeah. It's, it's still a, a, a piece of persuasion that still has to 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 continue. Yes. Um, in fact, we will have Fergus Finlay coming along as well, who is in fact the chair for the implementation of the Commission of um, Employment Strategy for Disability. So mm. he's actually, if you like, at policy level, going to also talk about the, the particular issues around what you're just raising there um, and how they're trying to progress that at policy level as the, the likes of the Ability Programme are doing quite, quite well, actually, quite successfully at uh, county level. Very good. Now, as we said, uh, Craig and Caleb uh, with us as well, students of uh, Skullcormac in Cashel. Craig, you were mentioned in dispatches there, so if we can start with you. Um, your experience of work placement, for example, would you tell me a little of that? Uh, the work placement? Yes. Uh, um, you you worked with uh, the Cavanagh Kitchens, I, I think, didn't oh, you? Yeah, because yeah. you're interested in woodwork and the like. Yeah, woodwork, yeah. Um, yeah. Cavanagh's Kitchens, it was good. Mm. It was um, it was like nice to uh, interact with other people. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that scary for you first of all? Because yeah, because I'm like yeah, quite shy when it comes to yeah. meeting other people and stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was. It and was how how did you get on there? I mean, did they yeah, treat you well? Yeah, they were nice. Yeah. It was um, it was like. I love woodwork and stuff, so yeah. When I do it, it's. And have you been doing woodwork for many years? Have you? I, I I've been doing it since I started like secondary school. Yeah, yeah. And th- that's what you love to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, very good indeed. What your experience in Skull Cormac? What what has that been like for you, Craig? Um, it's been it's been good. Like has like, it? Yeah. When I was in, uh, how'd you say? Uh, Mainstream school, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like tougher, was it? Yeah, but yeah. um, in school karmic, then it's like way easier, you can go at your own pace, stuff like that. It's just very good, so it made, made a big difference yeah, to you, yeah. did it? Yeah. yeah, what would you like to do? I mean, is woodwork is that something yeah, you'd like to work at? Something with like woodcraft, uh, mats, yeah, I like mats, you like mats as yeah. well. Not everyone says that, but. Yeah, it, it, very few people would say. Yeah, I yeah. certainly wouldn't be saying that though. But <laughs> yeah. but you like you like all of that, do you? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Very good. So that's what you'd like to do as yeah, a career. Caleb, yeah. can I ask you about your uh, your experiences? Because I think you're you're more into the cars than the mechanics and all of that, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Tell tell me about that. I was going there now. Uh, went there once a week for a few weeks and helped around in. I did. That that was a, a, a garage in Cashel, was it? It was, yeah, across from the school. Yes, very good. And had you experience of looking after cars before? No, lost no. uh, time going and just trying it out. Right. And what did you make of it? 
it was good, yeah. Like, keeps you busy in that, which I like. Yeah. And is it something you'd like to do? Uh, along those lines, yeah. So. Yeah. Something there. Tell me about Skull Cormac for you. What what was that experience like for you? What is that experience like for you? Very good now. Like, they help you around if you don't know anything. You yeah. can get to meet people and and they give you a lot more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And had you been to a mainstream school as well? Not a secondary, no. I went to a primary one, didn't. Mm. After that, didn't. I left and went to School Cormac, didn't. Right. And was that very different, your experience in, in School Cormac, then, was it? Uh, yeah. Like, a lot bigger school, it was a lot more students and that, and people. Yeah. When are you finished in School Cormac? Uh, n- end of... Next, yeah, July, August of next year, is it? July, I think. July of next year, yeah. And what are your plans then at that point? What what will you do then, Caleb? I hope to hopefully seek an apprenticeship or along those lines. That's what you'd like to do. Would, right? And have you have you sort of worked at that so far? Have you thought about how you'll go about that, or are you getting help? Or uh, again, help now from Edwin Dow to hold program is helping. Uh, me with the designer, figure out what I want to do. Very good. So it's very important to you. And what about you, Craig? I presume you're finished next year as well, yeah, are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm finished. Finished the same as Caelan. Right. And will you try and get an apprenticeship? Or yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try as well, yeah. Hey, is that scary for you to know that you're you're finished in Skull Call? Yeah, and you, it is. You're yeah. moving on. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's quite scary, yeah. Is it? It's scary cool. and exciting, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Because you're, it's both of them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear from mm, from the yeah. lads there and hear about their their dreams and their their wants and needs Absolutely. as well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'd certainly I'd like to commend the two boys for coming on and and being Absolutely. able to talk about the two yeah. which is great. I really I do, really do commend them for that. Yeah, isn't it isn't it fantastic altogether? So who can actually get along on the sixteenth to An- the Anna Hotel? Who is welcome? There? Well, um, the target group is the. I suppose the young people who are leaving, about to leave um, post-primary um, and are going, I suppose, on to look at what their, their prospects are in education and tra- training and, empl- and employment. So they're certainly very welcome and obviously family, parents who are coming along, schools as well, school pers- school staff, school personnel who are working in that area, guidance counsellors and so forth. And look, it's open, it's really open to anybody who has an interest in the area. And, but in terms of, I suppose, our, our target group essentially is that is that young um, young adults, uh, eight, six, well, 16, 17 to 24. I suppose, I'm thinking of young people categories of, of young people who are in the um, senior cycle in post-primary who yes. might be in special classes and um, that they're obviously looking to see what their prospects are. There's disability uh, uh, payment recipients as well around the county in that age group. Um, obviously young people attending special schools or other you know who are still of of an age where they have a you know where they have they're looking at what they might be doing after yes. um, after they leave wherever they are they're at. Very good. Do you have to register ahead of time? No, no you, it's you free. It's up. a free um, okay. event and people can walk in and, and, and just go around the various stalls. There'll be stalls there of the different um, training um, and um, I suppose the local development companies will be there as well. They support employers, employment or employees, people, potential employees, um, the Department of Social uh, Protection, um, the DTB, 
they'll all they'll all they'll be about thirty people, I think we're, we're saying, and and about fourteen or fourteen agencies around to kind Excellent. of just with that information. So it's the Anna Hotel on Thursday, November sixteenth, which is uh, next week. Now the two two lads are talking about apprenticeships, but I mean there are. Um, I, I suppose the, there is available third level as well, uh, you know, and uh, people can be encouraged where that's absolutely, concerned too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now, as again, we're hoping to have the, well, we will have the access officers from the transit, the technic, is it the TUS, formerly yes. LIT, yes, and they yeah. will be there and they'll have some information about other courses that are available in UCC and UL. So, look, we're trying to cover the full um, range of, of opportunity that, that, that is there for the, that young cohort. All right. Well, we wish you the very best where that is. Thank you. Concerned. Uh, thanks, Rory, and lovely to meet you, Greg, and uh, to Caleb as well. We wish you the very, very best indeed for the future. If there are, just before we finish, if there are uh, people out there that, you know, whether they're in business with whatever, and they want to be involved with you, can can they do? Can they talk to you about this? I mean, if they want to take apprentices or if they want to find out what the story is, they can get involved, I guess. They can indeed. I yeah. mean, they're very welcome to come to the, the event for starters, um, and we're hoping that we'll we'll advertise whoever was presenting the information in, um, at that particular event and that will be available on on various websites right. including the sipsy website for for any <coughs> employer who's interested because yeah. there's a huge shortage of staff everywhere you know mm-hmm. particularly in mm-hmm. hospitality and all of that and to embrace this could be very useful for a for a absolutely. company really. yeah. absolutely yeah really good to talk to you today Rory. Much, thank now. you very much indeed and thanks to Craig and thanks to uh, Colin Kermilmagut uh, news and information's on the way Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. To speak to Emma for free. You can text on WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. All right, let's do this. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. Tip FM's Match 3 Game. With Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie. We go to Shinron and Monica's there. Good morning to you, Monica. Hi, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. More importantly, how are you today, Monica? Oh, no fear of me now. I'm fine. Are you feeling lucky <laughs> in all of that? Uh, no, no, but sure, we'll give it a go. <laughs> give it a go anyway. You never know what might happen. Um, a number for me between 1 and 90? Um, three. Number three. All right, let's open that box and see what happens. It's a Remington Heritage foil shaver to the value of 129 euro, Monica. Okay. Okay. So, you know, um, you have to match three. So, pick another yeah. number for me. Um, 17. Let's go with 17 and let's see what happens there. Monica, sadly, it's not a match. It's a Fitbit Inspire 2 Black, and it's worth about 100 euros. So, Lovely. sadly, you're, you you won't win today. No. But just to help other people out, will you pick a third box for me? Yeah, um, 27. 27. And 27 is a Garmin Frozen something or other to the value of 70 euro. And uh, thank you very much for doing it. You have a house full, Monica. No, I just have one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who is the what? Tell me about the one. How old? 
Bobby is three tomorrow. Bobby is three tomorrow. Oh, the yeah. terrible threes. You can't oh, beat God. it, can you? Yeah, yeah we haven't slept two years. Oh, okay, well, look, commiserations to you. But do do play again, won't you? Great, I will. All right. Lovely to talk to you, Monica. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye now. There's a lively house for you, I can tell you. And of course, right throughout the day, you'll have uh, other opportunities to play our match three game. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurles. Shop online at stakelum.ie. Match three, win the prize. Match three and win the prize. Now, a lot of clever boots out there, of course, are listening in and they're writing down the numbers and they're sort of getting a, a handle on it. So I'd imagine match three will begin to hot up very, very soon indeed. The Cloud Jordan Community Seed Bank Group is inviting you to a talk with expert uh, horticulturist and grower Kevin Dudley on the importance of creating a seed bank in your community. And that's happening this Wednesday in a war's natural disasters and extreme weather events, floods, drought, all of that threatening our global food supply lines and every week brings news of famine and conflict and uh, record-breaking temperatures as well. And I'm delighted to say that Kevin Dudley joins me now. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Kevin, and thanks for coming on with me today. Will you first of all tell me what exactly is a seed bank? Well, it, what it is really is um, we grow uh, a, a load of different types of seed and then we keep that and every year we take from that seed and we see if we can improve it and we share that amongst our community. So what we're doing is um, we might not have one type of carrot, we might have five types of carrot and um, every year we look at the plants that we're saving the seed off of that carrot to try and improve it for where we grow it and for what we, what we need it for. It looks like, uh, food-wise, it's an uncertain future, Kevin. I mean, could this help towards food security, for example? Oh, yeah, it's always been an uncertain future, Fran, when it comes to food, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, um, one of the worst problems, I think, is that... um, in, uh, in the 80s, we joined the EU, and they have a, a, a law called the dust law that means each variety has to be distinct, uniform, and stable, which is, you know, homogenous. Mm. They're all the same. But what that means is that that population of, of crops isn't doesn't have enough genetic characteristics in it to help it move in any direction if we do have weather changes. And, you know, I've been out here for 40 years in the in the rain, and it, it does seem to be getting worse at times of the year. Well, that's very worrying indeed. Well, we see, we, we've and also, I mean, we we've had series of famines in Ireland, so we should we should know about it. But we've never had a better time, really, to have access to seeds which are genetic um, material to enable us to kind of overcome this. It's just that we've left it to others, you know. It was. Not even farmers are really engaged in this anymore, which means that like four multinational corporations now now own over 60% of the world's seed and we've lost over 97% of the diversity in our food crops that we had up to the year 2000. Can we claw that back or is this going to be extremely slow, do you think? Well, this is the thing, you know, the diversity that we had was us making it. And when we stopped being involved in it, it started to decline and be specialised, whereas if we take it back and, you know, these these genes that are in the varieties of crops that we grow, they're also being copyrighted and owned by multinationals, which means we won't get access to the 
of all of that genetic change. So this is where community seed banks are popping up all over the world to create local varieties again. You know, I mean, I often wonder how many people in Tipperary grow Tipperary turnips. Very yeah. few, I would imagine. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, on uh, tomorrow night at the, uh, the, at the talk, I'll, I'll be bringing the Tipperary turnip along to, for people to familiarise themselves with. And what does it, forgive my ignorance on this, Kevin? But does it look different? Does it well, taste it, you know, different? You, well, yeah, it, it's really creamy when um, cooked and made into a soup. And when you think what it is, it's a big storage of carbohydrates that have been stored up from the sun that year, so that in the second year when it's grown, it can push up its flower stalk and produce its seeds. So we take that in the winter and cook that up, and that's that's thick and sweet and creamy. And also the, the Tipperary turnip has showed resistance towards lack of boron being in the soil. So it's been selected in an area where, you know, the ones that needed boron didn't grow. The ones that um, managed with less boron grew and the seeds were saved of that. It's very interesting. Is it a bit like local honey, you know, that if you consume the produce of your area, it's naturally better for you? Well, it's naturally better for you in the fact that you don't, you're not transporting it all the way across the world before you eat it. But the main thing is, I think, is it, it widens your awareness to what food actually is and to soil and what's in the soil and how you treat the soil. Because, um, you know, I, I feel that um, we, need to, we need to be educated. And by doing something like this, it educates you. And, and then you can understand... Um, nature and the hard work that all our food growers and farmers are engaged in, you know, to bring us the best food that they can. Can we save money with this? Oh, most definitely, yeah. And also, you won't, you won't be able to buy that quality of food that you grow. Yes. It's, it's impossible to buy it. You know, so you're learning, you're engaging with nature, you're creating your own food and your own seeds and these seeds are our commonwealth. They are our combined ancestors created these these seeds from the wild um, plants that were there, you know, the, the, all of the different types of uh, brassica that we now you know, have that come from the wild cabbage, you know, from kales to kohlrabi and Brussels sprouts, and they all came from the same uh, origin, but our ancestors managed to work with the seeds and select them and create new varieties and new types of foods. Right. And, and they're still available to us, the, the seeds with that... Uh, genetic quality, they are still available to us. Yeah, they are. I mean, mainly through, I mean, we're really lucky because we have Irish seed savers here in outside of Scariff and County Clare, and we have uh, brown envelope seeds down in uh, Skibbereen uh, down there, and they are still producing varieties that are, that are coming from our uh, some of the ancient ones, some, some of them that they've rediscovered, like the Tipperary turnip, the, the Gorda hook cabbage, you know, that um, they're still there. And, and what they were was generations of our farmers and growers here selecting for here. It's all to do with uh, tour, you know. Place. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's absolutely fascinating to me. I know we all thought we were doing wonderful stuff by buying the seeds for the wildflowers, for example, and I tried doing yeah. it myself. And then we discovered that what we were doing was uh, planting seeds that were like Mexican and all sorts of stuff, and we didn't know what effect it might have on our on on our other plants and and the like as well. So we have to be very careful about these things, haven't we? 
Yeah, well, especially for wild plants. I mean, the, the whole thing with the Spanish bluebells, you know, we thought we were growing bluebells yeah. and bluebells are bluebells, but we've, uh, we've uh, brought in uh, Spanish bluebells. But when it comes to agricultural crops, it's, it's slightly different. Uh, but the main thing is that we, we create, you know, first thing is to teach people how to grow, and then we can go into the whole thing of seed saving. And then from there, we can go into classical plant breeding. We can create new varieties. And, uh, I mean, we've done it here on um, Top Jordan Community Farm. We have our own um, land race varieties of onions and courgettes and faba beans and things that we've been selecting and crossing things into for the last 10 years. Yeah. I think it's absolutely marvellous. Can can we all do this? I mean, even somebody like me, with I, to say I don't have green fingers, that would be an understatement. But can can we all do this? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it's, it, it is most definitely a community thing. Yeah. Not one man by himself can do this. It's too too big a thing. But as a community, we can do this. I mean, I mean, you know, I understand. I'm old enough to understand that not everybody is as passionate as I am. You know, yeah. we all have our we all have our abilities, but when we come together as a community, all of those abilities are shared. And, you know, we, we're more than just a few people you know, when we come together. Absolutely. So tell me about your talk tomorrow night. It's at the lovely Thomas McDonough Museum there in Clark Jordan, isn't it? Yeah, it's at half past seven tomorrow evening. And, uh, yeah, I'll have demonstrations of what we've been doing, the onions, um, some different loads of different seeds there to look at. Like I said, the tipperary turnips, sunflowers. Um, we have a mass of different, all, all of the food crops, really, that, that we're growing. And um, just try to reintroduce some things. Into, I mean, we're not, we're not really that au fait with squashes here yet. Mm, but mm. they're a fantastic winter source of food. You know, things like that, just to, to show people and, and to help people, really. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to be telling somebody who knows what they know something when they already know it but yeah, just yeah. you know to, to help people along and to empower our communities because um like you said you know it's happened before and it, it you know when you get things like massive fires where we are getting our wheat from and then the geopolitical thing of russia yeah. and uh, ukraine we really need to kind of be looking back to how our ancestors with the limited amount of genetic stock they had they they managed to in most cases, overcome a lot of these situations. It's interesting. So self-reliance, I suppose, we're, we're down to again. Yeah, but it, it, see, it's not me. It's not self as in an individual. individual. Oh, of course, yes, it, of course. It's self yes. as a community. Yes. So hopefully in Clock Jordan, you know, we'll have our varieties and then Moneygall will have slightly different and Boris Akane will have slightly different, you know, and we'll be able to swap genetics between us so that we don't lose all of this uh, a skill base, really, which we were all involved in. Well, you sound so passionate about it, Kevin. It's it's fantastic. So, who do you have to register tomorrow night, or can you just no, turn up? No, I don't think just come along. Yeah, just come along, and um, yeah, it'd be great to, you know, not just preach to people what I do, but to engage in conversation with our community. I think that's the most important thing. All right, really good to talk to you today, Kevin. Yeah, uh, can I can I just uh, give a shout out to yes. my my beautiful wife and all of the rest of the people who work at Hanley's Woolen Mills. Very good indeed. It's a lovely place yeah. it is too. I know it well. Oh take take yeah. care of yourself, Kevin. Thank you. And you, Fran. Thank good you. Luck. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. Now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Kevin Dudley there. And uh, I found that most interesting. I hope you did as well. The Clark Jordan Community Seed Bank Group.
and they're inviting you there tomorrow night to the lovely Thomas McDonough Museum in Clock Jordan. Half past seven is uh, the time. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Willie joins me now. Willie, good morning to you. And really good to talk to you today. You, I mean, this continues on our conversation from earlier on, I, I suppose, as well. You, you have some concerns about population growth, Willie. Yeah, friend. I mean, look, this environmental debate is ongoing in COP20 and COP22, and there'll be a COP24 and et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. like, the elephant in the room, as far as I'm concerned, is, is there, and nobody wants to talk about it. Like, population growth is going hand in hand with emissions going through the roof. I mean, you can't have one without the other. Just to throw a figure or two at you, like, mm. at the turn of the last century, say the 1900s, population stood at about 6 billion worldwide. Mm. It's currently close on 8. That's like one third of an increase in little over 100 years. It's estimated by the middle of this century 2050-26 to be 10 or thereabouts and they're talking by the end of this, the 2000s be over 11 billion and these academics are scratching their heads wondering where all the emissions are coming from that, God, is, it, is, it, is it the burn on the turf or is it a few cattle in the field but sure, the population is exploding worldwide where, it's, it's, where do they think the emissions are coming from? It's a very interesting take on things and you know if we're trying to contain emissions over the next while, as you say, if the population increases, um, it's going to be difficult to do that. Is sure. that the point? No matter what measures they bring in, it will be meaningless because the more, the higher the population goes, the more resources will be consumed, the more water and air and houses and buildings and everything else is going to have to go alongside with it. But you won't hear it discussed. Right. By, like, have you ever heard of any environmental lobbyist or the, or the UN or the Friends of the Earth or any. Have you ever heard one of them even raise it or discuss it? Well, I've heard population increase being discussed in sort of general terms, I, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. before. But you, you, you're making an interesting point about this. But what about, if I could counter-argue with you, Willie, um, mm-hmm. what about if the extra population live in a sustainable fashion and, you know, I mean, take into account all the difficulties we have? Um, mm-hmm. w- would that not sort of balance it up in some way? It'll go some way, Fran, but you mean you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. No matter what you do, more and more and more resources will be consumed and like it's like the analogy people use about rabbits or whatever it is. Two breed six, six breed 26. In a year's time, the 26 breed 126. And, like It's not as stark as that, but it's, as the population grows, the increase grows exponentially with it. It's simple mathematics. And nobody is even... It's the elephant in the room at all these environmental things worldwide, but no one wants to... Well, it's it's certainly not going to be discussed at COP27, I would imagine, uh, these these days. What what is your answer to it, Willie? Friend, I don't know. I mean, they went out some years ago and you did hear, you know, developing countries were trying to limit the population growth, they were talking about birth control and they were talking about limiting families, limiting family size, sorry. But it seems to just die away. I mean, a lack of education and everything else. I mean, you heard, we heard the stories coming back that, God, the men would take the birth control tablets themselves because they didn't trust the women to do it and this kind of thing. But it just seems to have been absorbed into the whole 
woke generation. God, we can't say anything, you know, about that. That's a difficult topic. So instead we'll talk about turf and cattle and this, that and the other. Like I, I heard your Paul McCarthy on there earlier. Yeah. I have to say, a very intelligent guy. I, I not agree with a lot of what he had to say. Yeah. And it was refreshing for a change to hear someone from an environmental green lobby actually advocating for nuclear energy. Yeah. Because the bulk of them have been wishing for some kind of make-believe solution without ever actually taking a hard decision on anything. From, of course, you know, but I mean, to talk, to, to talk about uh, nuclear here is like political death, as as I'm sure you'll agree, Willie, you know? I mean, what politician is going to take that on board? Well, sure, and I mean, that's the, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Will, will anyone? Will anyone? Like, I, I totally agree with his, his issues about the planning and planning and trying to get yeah. more wind power and more solar. Like, I was struck last year, I was coming back through Capital White, for anyone that knows Capital White, huge wind farm all around the backdrop of the village, been there for 10 years or more. And big placards as you drive into the village, no solar farm. You know, I mean, it's just so mind-boggling. The, the, the mindset of object and object and object. And, but they all want a solution, but they don't want any... Yeah, not not in my backyard, so to speak. Not in my backyard. Yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, you're, you're looking at all this spectacular wind farm in the backdrop and then they're objecting to a solar. Right, but still, I have to say it's very important for people to be able to object to something that they feel is detrimental to them, you know? I mean, that is a very important right. It is a right, man, but, like, everyone's fond of their right, but entitlement, but responsibility. I mean, we all want the bin, we all want the bin collected, but nobody wants... the you know, a recycling plant near them. And we all want tremendous phone coverage, but nobody wants a mask in their vicinity, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we, we want an omelette, but we don't want to break an egg, ever. So how do you go about that then? I mean, what... what, nope. what? <laughs> if, if I had decisions, so all that, Brian, I think I'd be a yeah. wealthy man. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, people are going to have to wake up to the fact that there aren't any simple, easy solutions. There aren't any magic bullets here. I mean, you can't just, oh, this government, terrible. Next government, they'll be brilliant. They won't, because there isn't any magic solution. You're right in what you're saying about the people have a right to object, but my mm. God almighty, fellas from Donegal can object to something below and carry. I know, and I know. That, it up. that is absolutely ludicrous. And, uh, you know, Paul was saying that he got a glimpse at some of the objections to uh, uh, an enterprise near him, and some of it was just... Ludicrous, like you know, oh, petty, petty stuff, you know, that's irrelevant. Yeah, like, wait, I, I totally agree with the point he's making about this large scale industrial peat that we've done away with. You know, the Bordemona harvesting yes. these thousands of acres of peat every year. Yeah, it was a third call and it had to be made. Look, it was going to be made anyway because I know I live in an area that has a large Bordemona area, and 20, 30 years ago, they were pulling out of vast areas of that simply because they were exhausted. They were they were harvested for 50 years, they were gone. It was going to happen anyway within a decade at most. But they've made that move. And like on that site in my own parish here, there's 40 turbines or so pumping out electricity seven days a week, morning, noon and night. So it is, there is progress there, but yeah, mm. it's slow, it's slow. That's very so, and and it seemingly, I mean, whatever about those projects you're, you're talking about, they're all granted very well. But it's offshore that will make the huge difference. And look at what we've done with that. I mean, it's so slow; we haven't moved on yeah. it, and it will be decades down the line before we can do that. You know. Well, it doesn't have to be. It 
to be decades, Fran. I mean, I was up in Arklow actually last week, and there's an offshore bank of wind farms in, in Arklow, but they were proposing the same thing maybe farther up along the coast, but it was getting into the South County Dublin, Dawkey, Holt area, yes. and that died a death because I suppose the bonos of this world didn't want to be looking out at their mansions as a, as a, tur- as a turbine. So, well, I'm you sure. Know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sure Bono wasn't solely responsible for that, but but I take your point all the same. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. that is that is the the issue, isn't it? Yeah, that is where the objections yeah. lie, you know. Yeah, but like like anyone, it's no different from the 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 fall on the footpath. There's a legal eagle there to take a claim or or pursue anything. Like I seriously I think they need to cut through all that objection. Put a, put a substantial, a thousand euro, you want to object to something there, give me a thousand euro and we'll proceed with that objection. That yes. might cut out a yes. lot of the nonsense and the baloney. Well, it, it it certainly would indeed. But again, you see, I have to say, I mean, the liberal in me then is saying to you, Willie, well, that's all fine, but if a, a poverty-stricken person wants to put a genuine... Um, issue against a a, a planning I mean they couldn't do that and would that be fair would that be right possibly possibly but we need to move like we can't be what if what if what if we need to move on these things we need to progress them do you you think this government or any government will have the you know what to do that though I wish they would, Fran, and I seriously wish. I seriously wish there was someone there with maybe a stronger mandate that weren't weren't constantly looking over their shoulder at the electorate in two years' time or three years' time that they could afford to say, "Well, look, yeah, we can go for a long-term plan here." But is that going to happen? It's hard to say. It's hard to say in this country the way the way the balance is there at the moment. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, happens. What are you making from what you're hearing so far about COP27, uh, though? Is it a cop out or is it the usual talking shop, do you think? I would say, Frank, usual talking shop. Yeah. They'll make all sorts of grandiose and uh, buying, but look, as I said, it's tinkering at the edges. If, mm. if we're going to be... like, I, I came across a bit of a research there from a guy from Harvard University and Edward Wilson, a very highly esteemed... I mean, Harvard isn't exactly the local tech. It, it's probably one of the foremost Absolutely. academic centres of excellence in the world. Yeah. Um, he was coming out and saying that 9 to 10 billion is the maximum population the world can sustain, no matter what you do. And you reckon we're heading for a lot more than that uh, over the well, next sure, 50 years or so? Yeah, yeah, and the figures that's there, and no, and it's, as I say, it's the elephant in the room that no government body or no UN or no Friends of the Earth or no environmentalist or Green Party or anything else even wants to address. Yeah, but you see, ordinary people don't want to address it either, you know? I mean, we all want to home in on the few sods of turf thrown on the fire there, and we look up and all these aeroplanes are passing over and they're doing much more damage. Uh, in fairness to Paul, he gave a bit of clarity about the whole turf thing and the pea thing today, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, he did, and, I, and I'd agree with a lot of the sentiment he's making, but, like, we, I, I saw in our own parish, and it's, and it's replicated right through the Midlands, you know, you had thousands upon thousands of acres being harvested every year. That has come to a stop, and we are literally down to the small domestic use. Mm. Now, that will gradually peter out anyway, because new houses haven't even a chimney been built yeah. on them. Yeah. But, like, I saw it clearly off there this year, there's a guy in our own neighbourhood, you know, an elderly guy living alone, give him a hand, bring home a lot of turf, through it home for him. Like, he, he, he's got a turf with four or five hundred quid for the year, and eats the house, there's no possibility in the wide earthly world 
that he's ever going to come up with the 50,000 to retrofit the house. It's not going to happen. Ever. Yeah, but I mean, the just transition there, Willie, should be that, mm-hmm. that the, you know, he should be paid to do that and people like that should be paid to do that. Because and I did, and I, I'd agree with the principle. Yeah. The problem is, is there's tens of thousands of thousands out there. Even with the best will in the world and the money, where do you get the, the, the crews, the manpower to go in and actually do them? I mean, how many hours a week can they do it? Would they do one? They wouldn't. They yeah, wouldn't. And, and where do you get the workers as well, of course, at the, exactly. at the moment as well? Yeah. But would it surprise you to know, Willie, and it certainly surprised me to know that down around the Limerick side, a friend of mine has a gas fire and all of that sort of thing um, in, in the city and is now putting in a stove along with a whole load of other people who are putting in a stove at, the, at this point in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'd say, and I've thought in a thousand places, they are putting in this wood-burning stove. Yeah. And... Look, okay, it is burning and it is, it is, but it, at least it's not a fossil fuel. It's a renewable. There's an industry out there, forestry thinnings and all the rest of it are being supplied to right. timber processors. But is there not an issue with burning timber as well? I don't. It, it, look, Fran, I mean, we've been around for millennium at this stage and everyone, <laughs> they heated their cave and burnt, <laughs> cooked their meat on some classes of fire. I mean, it's not new. It's just the numbers, maybe, and the concentration in, in urban areas, cities, that the, the, the air pollution is concentrated in it. Look, it is no, it's no simple solution. And I know myself, I have a stove there and we've earned a bit of timber as well. Yeah, I just found it odd that in a big urban area, mm-hmm. uh, in, instead of going forward, we appear to be going backwards with, with the introduction of stoves uh, again. So. Well, yeah, yeah, but they're burning, at least they're burning something that isn't. You know, the smoke, the coal is banned and all the rest of it, and rightly so. But at least there may be burning something which is a clean fuel, a, a dry timber. It's, yeah. it's a clean well, fuel. Well, you you would hope so, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Willie, always good to talk to you. Thank you for coming okay, on. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 No, that's uh, Willie speaking to us there about population growth around the world, I suppose, being the elephant in the room. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is only 3311 uh, says, I will head up to Clock Jordan tomorrow evening if he promises to put on a, a pot of Tipperary turnip soup. That sounds great. Well, he might just, he might just do that. Uh, you never know. And uh, my friend PJ, PJ English, on to be from Clahine to say, you see, PJ never misses a good opportunity. And he says, we sell beautiful Tipperary turnips in the V Valley Fruit and Veg Shop in Clahine and much, much more. You do indeed. And uh, fair play to you, PJ. All right, we'll take another break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, uh, into us on text. Uh, my son has a Stanley range, Fran. It heats the house, it heats the water, and they cook on the range as well, all from one fire. Yes, it's solid fuel uh, with one chimney. Is this not a good way of saving and they burn timber, which is renewable. And that comes in from Marguerite uh, this morning. Thank you for that, uh, Marguerite. And it sounds reasonable enough uh, to me. Pat is in Ron's Gray, and he's making reference to my chat with uh, Paul. And he says, I wonder, could Paul tell us how many tonnes of carbon is produced to make enough insulation to retrofit one house? We are lucky in Ireland because at least... Uh, at the latest rate of retrofits, we will not contribute to such emissions, 
says Pat to us today on 083 311 Another listener on to say Bill Gates, Fran, will sort out the population uh, crisis. Um, well, I know that he's been a, a proponent of population control to target the roots of popper, uh, certainly poverty, I suppose, and, and unrest in the, in the world for sure, but I'm not sure about him sorting out the population issue. Uh, let's go back to the phones and to Nora. Good morning to you, Nora. Good morning, Fran. Good to How talk are you? to you. I'm very well indeed, Nora. Good. Good to talk to you. You took a fair old trip to get some kittens. Yeah, yep. eight hours and 44 minute drive there and back with wow. stops. So you headed yep. for Donegal? Yes, Donegal right. um, Animal in Need Rescue. Very good. Center. And yep. you went to get kittens, is that right? I did, yeah. Um, Willow and Mackenzie, two tabbies, and they are beautiful. Mm, fantastic. <laughs> and how did you find out about them, Nora? A picture came up on Facebook on the Friday evening of um, the two we have and their two siblings. And the picture said, two gone, two remaining. And I forwarded the picture to my son and he came in my room at the time. It was, it was quite late. It was gone 11. And um, he said, okay, are we getting them? And I went, yeah, I think so. So I contacted them, and you had to fill in a little sort of like questionnaire. And one of the questions was, you know, what is your um, knowledge of cats? Mm. And uh, I mean, I cannot remember a time when there's never been a cat in my life. Right. And one of the other questions was, where will they sleep? So my answer was wherever they want to sleep. <laughs> my house is their house. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, they were they've had their first inoculation and they are microchipped. It was seventy euro for both kittens. Now I did give them more money because I think they're selling themselves short. Yes. Yeah. But the woman said that, you know, if we charge too much, people won't adopt them. Right, and they want people obviously to adopt oh, them. Yeah. Obviously, you know they want you know they want these you know these kittens can't stay in shelters for the rest of their lives. They need they mm. need loving homes, you know. So I mean, I had thought about going closer to home. I had mm. thought about going down to Limerick, mm. but they want an awful lot of money per kitten. Right, so it was more. Well, it was easier on the pocket for you to drive the whole way to Donegal. Absolutely, tank petrol and. 70 euro initially. I mean, I gave her another 100 euro, but, you know, as I say, because I think she's selling herself short. She yeah, does a wonderful job up there. Very generous um, of you. I'm not sure if you heard uh, Gina Hetherington speak to me from Pause earlier on, but she was describing the situation they're in at the moment. They're just absolutely packed out. They can't take in anybody else. What was your experience when you got to Donegal? I mean, is is that animal sanctuary, Is that is, are they full? Was, no, she's... Basically, she's a foster. Mm-hmm. So from the sanctuary, she gets foster kittens or uh-huh. foster cats or whatever. So, um, and she has about a dozen, dozen and a half cats or kittens mm. there at the moment. Um, and, you know, so as I say, they, they, they go from the shelter to a foster home, get socialised, and then they get, you know, they're forever, forever homes. Very good. So how are they settling you know, in with you, Nora? They, 
brain. Um, they're a little, you know, tentative. Mm. They found their way upstairs, and my my older cat kind of looks at them as much as they, uh, <laughs> excuse me, what are you doing here? Yeah. But they'll get, you know, because we, we lost one of our cats back in um, in July. We had to have him put to sleep. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, yeah. And um, I hadn't intended getting some new kittens. And we're going away in March for my birthday. And I was thinking, oh, we'll wait until we get back and then... You know, there'll be no disruption to them or whatever. Yeah. But I just saw these faces staring at me on Facebook and I thought... You no, couldn't resist. No, you know, so... That's that great. Is it, is it true? I mean, cats get... A, I, I love cats and I love dogs and I've had cats and dogs over the years as well. But is it true what they say about cats, that they're, they're kind of they're their own creature, you know? They're... Um, You own a dog. Yeah. A cat owns you. Do you really believe that, Dora? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of my mum's um, cats, God rest her, um, I used to have a friend would call in to my mum on a Thursday with her husband. And one of my mum's cats, the minute he walked in the door, she would hiss and snarl at him. Wow. Very good judge character, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so, after a while, he stopped coming in. <laughs> my God Almighty! So they they they're very particular, are they? They're... Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. I mean, the the cat that we lost in um in July yeah. was my son's cat through and through. Absolutely, he would. My son has got a full beard. Yes, he would groom my son's beard. Wow. Yeah, he was my son's cat through and through. If my son went out without saying goodbye to him, he would cry for him. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they're super intelligent. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I have Mackenzie sat beside me at the moment, playing with my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to send me a picture. You'll have to send me a picture. Um, well, I, 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 I did send one. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, maybe, I did. Maybe I have it here in front of me somewhere, actually, yeah. I'll have a room. Oh. oh, I see it. I see it, yeah. yeah. Oh, the they're on, gorgeous. They're sitting on top on of the it. sofa. Yeah, the one on the one nearest the end of the sofa, that's Willow, that's the female, and then the big fluffy-faced one is Mackenzie, oh, the male. Gorgeous, gorgeous. But, but when we first saw them, we were told that um, one was Mackenzie and one was... Um, what was it? Ronan. Mm. So we decided we didn't like Ronan, so we're going to change it to Rocket. <laughs> Only Rocket turned out to be a willow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They're so perky looking, aren't they? They're oh, just no, they're gorgeous. They're just, Absolutely they're, gorgeous. I mean, because tabbies have, naturally, all tabbies will have an M on their forehead. That's oh. their markings. Right. And um, so I thought, well, my surname's McConville, so, you know. Yeah. Had to be. <laughs> Had to be, indeed. Absolutely. Be. Well, enjoy and uh, lovely to talk to you, Nora. You too, friend. Thank you. Look after yourself, Dodge. Thank you. you. Bye bye, you know. That's uh, Nora with her two lovely new kittens. Um, and they look absolutely good. We should put that up on, on Facebook, Emma, so people can have a look. We'll take a, a break. We'll be talking about sweating in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now we expect uh, sweat in summer, but the feeling of sweating in your jumper in the colder months is pretty grim. I'm sure you'll agree. Now, nobody wants to turn up at the office uh, with sweat patches or be paranoid that you might be smelling too great. So how can you combat natural body odours and sweat stains even in the colder months? Well, let's find out because I'm glad to be joined by Laura Maloney, who's senior therapist and owner of Laurel Salon in Clanmel. Laura, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you keeping? I'm very well indeed, Laura. We often assume that sweat is a, is a bad thing and it needs to be avoided and all of that. But, uh, you know, how do you feel about deodorants and all of that? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, excess sweating, it, 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 I suppose it comes in different um, grades. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and the worst form of excess sweating is called hyperhidrosis, where, where it, is, it is actually a medical condition, you know. Um, and there's many things that we can do to try and combat that, going from literally, like you said, over the counter with like the deodorants um, and all the way up to you see the consultant or, a doc or your GP um, for medical, you know, um, treatments or creams or whatever that you can put on the skin. But I suppose one of, the, one of the first things that we can do, obviously, and what people often go to and reach for are the antiperspirant deodorants. Um, and I myself personally, and, and look, it is, it's a personal choice, but I go for more natural um, or, or completely natural deodorant antiperspirant. Um, and they're, they're so easily got. And, are and, they, Laura? Yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. In Clamel, I know for for sure, like um, near us in um, in Irishland, there's Shoe Cottage, mm. um, just there at the West Gate on the opposite side on the O'Connell Street side, um, and they have a range of natural deodorants. Um, I use Wild. Um, it's it's an Irish company, um, and I, I get it online. And they actually have re- you can buy like refillable, um, like they call it, it comes in a block for all the world, right. and you use so you use the same holder. So you're not repurposing oh, plastic good, all yeah. the time. And is you that know, like a roll-on thing? Or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it, exactly. Um, and it comes in all, like a variety of fragrances. And again, it's all natural, you know. But like that, that's not going to, how would I say, it's not going to uh, stop the excess sweating if excess sweating is the problem, you know. And quite often, more often than not, if it is a case where, like you are saying, you know, you have that, you know, that staining underneath your arms or mm. it's mm. coming through jumpers or like I know a friend of mine years ago had had this issue and like through um, a long sleeve top, a jumper and, you know, like those denim jackets with, with that are lined with wool on the yeah, inside. Sure, yeah. Sweat through that. I mean, that's when it, it comes wow. into the medical um, medical realm uh, as such. And, and there are, there are so many options that like people should never suffer in silence and or suffer or be embarrassed about this because it can make people be very isolated. You know, they don't want to go to social settings. Um, they don't want to go into, say, like a busy pub or a restaurant because they're so paranoid about sweat patches or about where they will sweat. 
I presume the, the, the material in your clothing, does that play into this as well? Yeah, so breathable um, clothing, you know, so even for the life, we, like people automatically think you're going to sweat, you're going to sweat in your underarms, but that's, that's not necessarily, I mean, we, we sweat where we have lymph nodes, so you can sweat like your groin, you can sweat um, actually behind your knees because you have a lymph node there. Oh. If, um, obviously then there's the facial sweating as well, you know, and men and women, we our main lymph node is in our chest, but obviously um, those who have, you know, breasts, um, you, and especially those with bigger breasts, they, they sweat a lot, you know, and that can be really uncomfortable. So when it, even as little, or would you break it down to what underwear you wear, you know, right. so be it from like underpants or, or um, knickers all the way to bra, you know, that you should get more breathable um, material like, like cotton and especially be careful with women, the wiring in a bra can be very, very irritable. And because obviously it's metal, that can cause heat, you know, with body heat it can, and that can actually cause excess sweating in that area as well, yeah, you know. It's interesting. I mean, the the sweating and the sweat stains are all, you know, very, very annoying and difficult mm. for people. But when it comes to the odour then, yes. I mean, that's... that's yeah. That's really what troubles people greatly, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And like body odour, like sweating is a natural thing, right? Yes. Everybody sweats, you know, and we need to sweat because it's a release of toxins. Yeah. So be it that we are like, you know, it can be the, the, the nervous sweat or the sweat when you're like working out in the gym or going for a run or a walk or whatever. But like you said, every sweat does have a, li- a little bit of a, a smell to mm. it. Um, but then when it comes to the point where it actually is a body odour and it yes. is, it is, that's when there's back bacteria there you know and say for instance you just ran 10 miles and you're sweating mad um, and you, you can get that kind of that smell of, of BO from you then like that's because you push your body to ex- extreme and then naturally there will be a bit of bacteria in your skin and salt um, that will come out through our sweat and with them combined causes creates the smell but when somebody not like smells of BO that's when there's like just there's too much bacteria on the skin basically um, So and is that basically because they haven't showered you? Or? I was just going to say it's not necessarily uh, um, an uncleanliness thing, like okay. it's not at all, you know. Um, but it would be somebody that I would be saying needs to go to see um, a, a medical professional because there's either something on the skin that's causing that that odor, or maybe they do need to look at their hygiene and what products they are using, and actually pull away from chemical products and and start to use things that are like actually odorless or more natural because sometimes the chemicals in those products can actually be irritating the skin to cause the bacteria to therefore and you think you're unmasking the smell but it's yeah. actually making it worse it's exasperating it I, I, I can imagine indeed but you, you found that the natural um, deodorant or the natural antiperspirant uh, perspirant, uh, that, that helps greatly <laughs> Yeah, it does. And look, as well, from a health perspective, you know, and again, it's, it's a personal choice. I suppose it's an environmental thing as well. I like that we can refill the, the yeah, you know, the yeah. plastic containers. There's less plastic waste. And like, you know, you have to remember, like, you know, um, you, you are putting it on, on an area, like I said, that has a lymph node, you know. So, like, it can it, it can block lymph nodes, like deodorant and antiperspirants. So the more natural the ingredient, the less of harm that can actually be caused to the body. Because, you know, they're often, you know, there's research gone into this that those that have like aluminium in it or um, any plasticines can actually build up and block the, the lymph nodes you know under, especially underneath the underarm area so it's a, while we want to sweat because we as I said we need to release those toxins we need to get those things out of our system like there's a reason why we sweat um, but we don't yeah. want to 
you know, stop the toxins from um, from being released from the system because then it just has yes. has a worse impact on the body. Um, a listener on to his lawyer to say, I work in a coffee shop and mm-hmm. I sweat mad. My hair would be yeah. saturated yeah, with sweat yeah. running off my head. Please help. Uh, that's that's a tough one because you're in that kind of environment, aren't you? It is, yeah. It's a warm environment. And like some people are natural sweaters. Like yeah, so if I no. have a, a nephew and he's four years of age and if he's running around the house or running around the garden, he's like that. His hair is stopping. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so it's like so some people are just born sweaters um, but what I would actually say uh, like a lot of the time the main changes that come for like people that, that experience like excessive sweating like that are during puberty or a female during different times in her menstrual cycle mm. um, now I, I'm focusing this a lot on females but obviously men go through like you know um, changes yeah. in, in hormonal sure. cycles as well but like women again after they have children their hormones hormones might be balanced and especially that post-pregnancy sweat or again if you're coming into menopause or perimenopause so what I would actually say to that person is okay is it just a work environment or is she just is he or she just noticing it more in that work environment you know because obviously the the steam from the um, coffee machines and all that would actually cause obviously more more heat in the body so then you would set more but I would go down the GP endocrinology route because a lot of the time it actually is an imbalance in our hormones that's causing it. It's interesting what what about what we eat and what that plays I know that if you eat a lot of garlic for example when you sweat I mean (laughs) the whole world the whole world will know about it but does food play into this? Um, I suppose, look, like, again, I would, if, if you are that person that sweats an awful lot, I would avoid the likes of the spicy, spicy foods, you know, onions, garlic, things yeah. like that, because... Like, if you're not going to try and stop the sweating, then naturally any food that's, that's greatly potent is going to come out through, through okay. your pores. I mean, it naturally just does. Right, okay. But if there's people out there, and I know there probably are uh, people out there who are suffering yeah. in this kind of way, yeah. it, it, you, you can sort this. It can be sorted, Yeah, Laura. absolutely you can. I mean, you can get over-the-counter um, like deodorants. There's one Odeban I know that can be purchased in many chemists, um, and that you put it on before you go to bed at night and then you wash off the excess in the morning. Um, there is a V-sheet do one as well, which is more of a it's more gentler on the skin, because especially if you are in excess, especially you can be quite sore in the underarm area or along the groin because that skin is quite delicate you know anyway yeah. so then if you are sweating and there's heat then obviously there can be a little bit of iron so like the Vichy will be very very gentle on the skin because I know some of them that are like either prescriptive or over the counter they can really sting they can really really sting the, the pores because they are open pores in that area when you initially put them on um, but you know so you can go that route first of all like I said initially you can try the clothes and you just be conscious get more breathing clothing and then you can try the over the counter then I would go GP route and it'll either be like um, a dermatology route that you can go down or an endocrinology and like those um, doctors and consultants would be able to talk to you about things like iontophoresis which is like a low current frequency that it's a treatment that's often it's actually used in facial treatments as well that um, basically how it works that there's a low current and what the current does uh, electrical currents like and it actually helps to suppress the sweat glands from producing sweat. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's just usually you have to have a, a, a 
um, a water pad put on the area and so then that acts as a barrier so you don't obviously get a shock um, but it does help to suppress the sweat glands from producing too much sweat and then obviously Botox. Botox is I mean when, when Botox was first developed I suppose you know it was well from a, an aesthetic perspective people then realised oh my god I'm getting Botox in my forehead and I'm not sweating. Mm. So mm. you know it can you can get Botox injections into the soles of the feet, you can get it into the palms of your hands, you can get it in your underarm areas but again that's going down the real medical route and that would be for people that are, had that excess, right. excess but sweating. there's a lot of options there for people. Absolutely and don't be afraid and embarrassed to speak to somebody whether it's your pharmacist, somebody like us in a skin clinic or go to your GP about it. Alright, Laura it's always good to talk to you. Thanks very much to you. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. Okay, bye bye. That's care. Laura Maloney there who is proprietor of Laurel uh, beauty salon in Clonmel. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content and uh, Stephen is on the way. And just in case I forget to tell you, we're out and about this week as well. We'll be coming to you on Thursday live from Dundrum from DJ Butler's Centre there. And we're looking forward uh, to that and as part of our tour around the county in terms of villages and uh, rural areas like that. All right, look after yourselves and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.